when we connected, it was just so easy. I just sort of just fired off an email one day, and I'm so glad I did. It's been it's been a lot of fun, guys. Welcome to the Product Quest Podcast. Thank you for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Jan Vermut, and joining me as always, my co-hosts, Jonathan Edwards and Scott Burleson. Today is a special episode. We look back on this crazy podcast project we launched in March this year. I mean, we produced 30 episodes, and just recently, by the way, we crossed more than 3,000 all-time downloads. So that's something to celebrate for us here. So today we'll look back and discuss the insights each of us took away from our 20 awesome guests so far. So if you're looking for a shortcut, this is your episode. But of course, we will also dive into everything else that makes the job of running a podcast fun. The format will be um, that we quickly present one of our guests that we had on the podcast, discuss the key insights each of us took away, from the session and then move on to the next one. So let's dive right in. We kicked off the year with Ruth Hart. She applies jobs to be done in the arts space. So she has a background in opera. I think she's an opera singer herself, then worked at the Christensen, Christensen Institute as uh, chief of staff and is now bringing through various ways and, and, and mostly through her blog, the jobs to be done perspective and lens to the to the to the art space, and for me, so I'm just gonna start this off. I I really enjoyed kicking it off with her. I mean, it for me it showed kind of that in some sense, and maybe that's an exaggeration. Jobs to be done really doesn't have limits. It's it's so nice to suddenly see. I mean, I've been in this field for ten years, and suddenly from a very very different industry in in brackets somebody comes and 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 just applies it in a space i would never have thought that it could bring value so it really proves this point that we've been discussing i think throughout the year that it's jobs to be done is like glasses that you put on but you can never take back off once you have them once you kind of get in touch with it it you you don't lose that lens anymore and Ruth, I think, using it in, in arts and how opera positions themselves and how the arts in general can reposition themselves to be more audience-focused is kind of a proof of, of, of that fact. So jobs done as a lens that you cannot, cannot take off. That, for me, was kind of the key, the key insight I took away from her. Of course, there was a lot about opera and the job of music and everything like that. So that was uh, we can maybe dive into that a little bit deeper. But that's, for me, kind of the... The, the very great starting point that we had in this year. What did what do you guys think? By the way, I have to say, Jan, I've stolen one of your metaphors. Good. You use the, um, you know, it's very common to use the lens. You see the lens, you see the world differently. But one of your, in some of your uh, LinkedIn posts, some of your communications, you use the metaphor back from the Matrix movie, the blue pill versus yeah. the red pill. <laughs> <laughs> you can take the blue pill and you can consent, yeah. continue to be deceived by whatever the world of products and technologies. You take the red pill and you start to see things as they really are. Just yeah. I'm just telling you, I've, I've I've absolutely stolen that and have been using it. <laughs> Good. I like it. <laughs> but with Ruth, you know, it was she was our first guest. She was wonderful. And yeah. if I think about I think back over the year. You know, that was probably the, I was probably the most nervous before that one. <laughs> Me too. Than yeah. any other ones. You know, we did one with just us. 
um, which was, I was nervous for that too, but I was the most nervous for Ruth. All of a sudden we had to figure out like we knew what we were doing and she was wonderful. She was yeah. just absolutely wonderful. And to your point, it is really interesting to see people from different backgrounds. You know, what's the more, the more common path is some, I mean, somebody was an engineer, then they're a product manager and, you know, that's sort of the more common path. But, you know, Ruth coming from the arts and a very accomplished opera singer. And I'm just, yeah. I mean, I'm amazed at the knowledge that is in her head for understanding music, something she'd done her whole life. And she sees um, such a, a um, she sees such how, I'm trying to say, she very clearly sees how jobs you've done thinking can be used in promoting the arts as a business. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things that that jumps out at me is, you know, no matter what your business is or your technology is, you're you become very enthusiastic about it. You know, if it's electrical stuff, if it's software, if it's cars or if it's whatever. And then you very quick because you're excited about it, you yeah. you very quickly assume, well, everybody's excited about it. Um, and so in the arts, there, there there's nobody nobody's immune. Nobody's immune from this. So in the arts, you're also not immune. Um, but so now it's like, well, because it's wonderful music, because it's this, because the composer is, has all these credentials. And but when Ruth is using Jobs to be done, but like, wait, let's look at this through the, the eyes of somebody who wants to enjoy it, yeah. enjoy the music, or might might see uh, a night at the opera as uh, something they would do. And with the jobs we've done lens, well, what else are they competing with? Well, they're competing with Netflix. Well, they're competing. They're not just competing with another opera singer or even another concert. They're competing with what, however somebody would entertain themselves. And she's taken that red pill, and you can tell, and she's got, <laughs> she's got a lot of enthusiasm and excitement. But, I mean, it was wonderful to hear that from her perspective. But just on a personal level, she was just delightful. I could have, we could have talked to Ruth. I, I she's somebody I could just listen. I mean, I, it's just like I know we're just scratching the surface. She had a, a lot to share, and, and again, as our first guest, Ruth, thank you so much. It was you. You really, <laughs> you really helped us to get. Uh, you really eased the path for us to to get started on this trip. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll totally second that. I, I, I think we couldn't have wished for a, a better first guest, as she was um, very good at expressing herself and very, uh, I, I thought, came across really well. And uh, I definitely was very nervous too. And what I uh, found quite fascinating with uh, Ruth is the one topic we've discussed quite quite often is this um, this fact that some people are naturally drawn to approaches like jobs to be done, and other people are not so drawn. And in my experience, I've noticed people who are more people who are more on the engineering side will be drawn to yeah. this kind of, of of way of thinking, and people who are more artistic, maybe a bit less. And and I thought it was quite fascinating that you have a, a true artist who also mm. had this um, this uh, interest, uh, more than an interest. I mean, this passion for for jobs to be done. I thought that was quite an interesting um, uh, combination. Yeah, yeah, I like that you say that. I mean, it's totally, I totally agree with you that there is, um, so this more kind of artsy designer space usually that is that they 
the reproach that comes very often to, towards jobs one is oh that's so rational so technical so like i don't know what left brain whatever like one one half of the brain <laughs> i think it's the left one and and that the reproach comes very often and she kind of embraced it and you can see how you can how you can how, how it's a very human thing i mean if you listen to the episode that we had with her it i mean it's about escaping it's about the mom that that kind of wants to have one evening of relief from and that these are all jobs these are all valid jobs but it i think the examples that we often use are are, are technical but it, it it's so lovely to see that it works in in all of these more well yeah more abstract more 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 also more generally human kinds of things that, that you can use it even in that space so i really liked it by the way you can check her out on youtube i mean she i listened to her singing operas you, there are clips for uh, you should absolutely do this it's lovely yeah, something just occurs to me now back to the you know if you work in jobs so I, you know we're not a job jobs be done themed podcast per se it just happens we <laughs> have a lot of interest in it and it's going to come up a lot it's just sort of how we see the world but when in jobs be done if you talk about it to any degree eventually you'll bring up the 1960s ted levitt article a marking yeah. myopia and in there, he he goes, he didn't use the words jobs be done, but he very much described this idea of separating solution from benefits. But one of his examples was the movie industry. And he said, people in the movie industry, they shouldn't see themselves in the movie industry, but in the business of entertainment. And here, what's You're this? So 50, right. 60, 60 years later, you know, we have Ruth, and it's just, it's not the business of the opera. It's also the, the business of entertainment. You're right. Oh, so I think, man. Jan, you prepared um, some an insight and a, a question you might have wanted to ask Ruth and, and a quote. Shall we uh, move on to that? Sure, sure. I mean, we can also maybe move on. I mean, we don't, I don't think we have to follow this all the time. But, but what I want to bring up is really the quote. I mean, the quote, I think you, Scott, you mentioned this, where you mentioned, well, like the question came up when the arts space, like who is the opera competing with? And it's not just another opera. And we had that quick discussion where I, I think I talked about the chocolate project that we have. And then, and then basically from the discussion, we realized that on some level, chocolate and opera com compete. So <laughs> it was this, I mean, we, did, we had this project on chocolate where we realized there is the, the chocolate bit in the evening is also a form of escaping of escapism and and she i think she mentioned an opera that had just saying like escape from your everyday struggle or, or something like that that's kind of the the, the 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 selling line or the tagline for for an opera and then i think it was this so she asked me so you're saying chocolate and opera compete on the job of escaping and then of course i said yes and 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 she loved that immediately and so I, I think that's really goes back to the point that you mentioned scott in the beginning where through that lens, you suddenly realize who are you really competing with? And then also what's the language that you need to use in order to kind of to win against those those competitive products like chocolate or a glass of wine or whatever it is in the evening that gets you that escape. So I think that's that's just a wonderful quote. But what I think what I would have asked her if she would be here now is, I mean, I think we had that discussion a little bit and maybe you brought this up, Jonathan, but it's one thing to say, okay, how do you communicate as an opera towards your, your customers and how can you do that more audience focused? But what would it mean to make opera itself, like the thing you sing, the thing you perform, 
more audience focused? Would that actually be something that you would want to do? Or is, is art something that kind of inherently also needs to go against kind of what, what the audience wants in a certain sense? But very often new pieces of music and so on, they're, they're not accepted at first. So, so I would be really interested to kind of figure out where is there a line somewhere where audience focus is even like counterproductive in the, in the production of arts or something like that. You know, one thing I remember from the conversation, so a lot of it we were talking about well, how you use sort of jobs you've done thinking from accessing a broader audience. But she was very quick to also say this is not about this is not about dumbing it down. It's not about yeah. so it's not necessarily, I mean, it's not necessarily about taking an Italian opera. Now let's make it in English. It's funny, when we were warming up, we were just sort of chatting. We talked about how languages when you you know, it's lost in translation. I mean, a word move to another language, it's, it gives you the idea, but there's something different. I'm not an expert in opera, but I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if you translate the Italian operas and the German operas into English, that there'll be a lot. I would say you probably lose a lot. I mean, there's a reason why people, you know, want to read ancient Hebrew texts in Hebrew. They want to read Greek texts in Greek because they want to, they want to understand that directly. But so she was real real clear about it. it was not about dumbing it down and i'm sure there's in the in the practical sense of determining what component goes into a concert if you want to make it more accessible there's probably some judgment calls you know where in where in this performance do we need to stick pretty excuse me strictly to what's the tradition and that's yeah. what is we, we don't want to lose that while but what what can be altered a bit to make it more accessible? You know, it's funny. It's, it's as we're recording this, it's close to Christmas time. I remember I took my family once to see a a, a um, presentation of the Christmas Carol here locally as a musical, and I was assuming it was the normal the Christmas Carol. It's got kids there, but it was very much this sort of rock and roll version, and it wasn't what I wanted. I mean, it was fine. People <laughs> liked it. Apparently, it was a, it was a big tradition of this show, and there's local performers that altered it. But I didn't want that. I wanted I wanted the more traditional uh, presentation. I mean, it was fine. Again, it wasn't bad. But but I remember very much her talking about it's not about dumbing down opera. Um, yeah. But I have to imagine if you're if you are thinking about you know creating this opera product, you know there's some, some there's some judgment calls uh, there. Where do we yeah. where where do we hold to tradition because we're honoring this, I have no idea, this, you know, this, I don't think, it's probably an ancient, it's not the word, but hundreds, perhaps, well, uh, certainly hundreds, probably. certainly centuries Thousands. old traditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do we, because that's something about what's so unique about it, and then where might we, you know, throw in a little something to to help the new the new person uh, a, a appreciate it a little bit, maybe as a little bit of a, um, uh, a, a gateway drug <laughs> to it, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah very nice so should we move on let's do thank let's you ruth on. you were wonderful we could yes, not have asked for a better first guest you're fantastic okay so our um the next guest so i the, we're not going to talk about our guests in the order of appearance on our podcast so the next person we're going to talk about is lance bettencourt who mm was i think episode three and or four maybe 
I think episode four, actually. And so Lance is um, a professor of marketing, and he's also an author of the book Service Innovation. So he's an expert in service design. And he also notably invented or co-invented or was at the root of the customer job map. So with the job steps, which is one of the, the, the fundamental tools used in jobs to be done and which was integrated further down the line by uh, Tony Olwick at Stratagen. And so I was, I mean, except for the famous uh, HBR article uh, called the customer-centered innovation map that uh, Lance and uh, Tony Olwick co-authored, I was not so familiar with Lance's work. I did read his book, uh, Service Innovation, prior to uh, us talking to him. And I mean, he was just such an open and, um, again, very uh, um, very generous guest with uh, the information he gave us and making us feel at ease. Uh, I, probably we should have made him feel at ease, but he definitely made us feel at ease. So um, that was very nice. And what I liked about this discussion was uh, when we talked about uh, uh, we talked about um, the so there were a few things. So the first thing is we talked about the value of qualitative research. Uh, we had an interesting discussion between Scott and Lance about the value of qualitative research that uh, you know many people in jobs to be done will put forward the, uh, the value of the quantitative aspect side of things, but that qualitative research is extremely useful. And we also, I really enjoyed uh, the comparisons between different tools that are used uh, by different people in design and innovation and comparing these tools. So the comparing the job map to the service blueprinting and to the uh, customer journey map. So there was an interesting discussion about the, the distinctions between these different tools. Um, and I really liked, so as mentioned, we prepared uh, so some insights we got from each of our guests, a quote and a question we would have liked to ask. So I really liked the one quote from Lance, which was activities themselves are solutions. And this is something I myself have often. So activities was in the context of customer journey maps. It's uh, it's one of the the uh, the ingredients, let's say, of customer journey maps. And uh, activities are solutions is something I've often pondered about. And I thought it was a very nice uh, kind of thing to make you think. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, so that's what I liked about that discussion. Um, don't know if you guys want to add something. So I, I, I'm so sorry, Scott. I have to jump in. <laughs> but I, I, I liked what you pointed out, Jonathan. Where because it's, I think it's really worth an episode listening to because, I mean, he has such 
and I think you underestimate this in the beginning, but he has such a, a finesse for picking the right words. And it's, it's really, I mean, and it's not just because, well, he likes to talk in a different way, but there's a lot of thought that went into how he phrases things. So I remember vividly the discussion we had about the word benefit. So he said, well, okay, some people, they say, well, jobs to be done is nothing else, but uh, well, talking about the benefits. But then kind of, I think there was a 10 or 15 minute elaboration then from his side, how benefit actually is only thinkable as the benefit of a solution. So it's not a solution-free word. So, and all these kinds of like very, very tiny things that you need to rephrase are exactly the uh, activities uh, themselves are solutions. So the difference between activities. So I think a very well thought out language uh, and, and he kind of seems to be discovering these different kind of tracks where you need to use another word to stay in the in the problem or the jobs to be done space and um, so i like that really a lot it sharpened my language as well like how i phrase things wow i am impressed by your memory Jan. i have to say well i will <laughs> let's see how far it gets with your guests <laughs> well you can with lance i mean what do you say i mean you can you're you're right yeah i mean he you can see why he would be a great outcome gatherer i mean you can imagine him interviewing a customer getting that syntax exactly right for what it is you know you can you can see wow because he is he's he's he, um he i don't know how to put this but he just i mean he's, he's just very good with words i mean he's just he, he's, he uses the right word and he'll think about it and it's very each word is very intentionally chosen but um but yeah lance i mean Lance. first of all he's a good he's a good friend of mine um and um but he's also my mentor in this space i mean back years ago we used to travel together i mean i would pick his brain and we would just we just talk I mean, it's not like i mean it's not like we were having lecture or student time per se but we would just have discussions and we would just talk about it and even a long time ago when i read what customers want i was like well this is yeah this is the tony Olmock's book what customers want this describes a market research process but this is more than that. There's a philosophy behind it, which has value all by itself. If you never did a research project, the value of thinking has value completely independent of if you do research. And um, and Lance is a philosopher. I mean, I don't know if he thinks. Well, Jan, you would you would be able to better lay that judgment on than me. But <laughs> but um, but he thinks deeply about these things. Activities yeah. are solutions is a great example. You know, or relationships with your customers. Those relationships are part of the solution. It's like, what? Really? The relationship yeah. with the customer is part of the solution? You know, so, but, but he, because he thinks about these things deeply. And that's why, you know, mm. I'm always like, I tell people, read everything Lance has ever written. Read yes. everything. And you, you just, it's just full of these, um, it's just full of this you know, uh, wisdom, if you will. Um, he's very deliberate. He's very deliberate in his language, and um, I believe we owe him an ice cream, also, as I recall. Oh, that's sure. true. I'm not that's sure true. how we transport get that to Texas. There was a lot around sugar and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. he stays in good shape, but then I see he always eats like I eats ice cream. Like, how does that work? But um, <laughs> you know, he's also he's he's rare in a lot of ways. In that, you know, you think about this. Um, well, academics sort of make this common error and practitioners make this common error. Well, yeah. Lance has got extensive background in both. He's got lots of hours logged 
interviewing customers, analyzing data, and as a professor and as a writer. And so if you wanna if you wanna up your game and jobs be done, I say it all the time, read everything Lance has, has ever written. He's a super, super dude on top of that. Yeah. So one question I regret not asking Lance or not diving in uh, a bit more into is uh, one of these uh, uh, age-old questions that people debate, which is what is the difference in approaching uh, service or and product innovation? I think we could have maybe talked a bit more about that with him, and yeah. I would look forward to discussing that with him uh, at a later stage if he's... Open so this it. is an invite for 2023 that we, we will send out, but 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 let's. I mean, he. I think he said he was willing to join again. So that's did. like that's his fault. He did. <laughs> he did. It was for it was for payment of ice cream. He was willing to come back. Good. Yeah, we can arrange that. Yeah. So the next uh, the next episode, Scott, I think you uh, are presenting. Yeah, Ronan Healy and Jane Hessian are a husband and wife team who. Um, have their they have a design consultancy called How Might We, and I loved this conversation. I've listened to this one a lot. Mm. I mean, they're all every we learned something from everyone, but I've personally probably listened to this one more than any any other. And there's a lot in this. So the sort of initial premise, you know, is the power of play. No, so they're the main tools they use within their consulting practice is Lego, Serious Play. And they work with corporations and innovation teams, and they've they've worked for the Irish government. So they've got an impressive list of of um, of clients. But they they essentially have Legos where they build things and do things as part of a facilitated exercise. And so I expected to talk a lot about play, and we did talk a lot about play. I, I remember mentioning like my own girls had built a fairy garden in the yard. Like, what are they trying to accomplish? And I think that's part of the reason I found myself listening to it a lot is I, I'm, I'm they have so much insight into the brain and what's going on when somebody is playing. And if you think about when we're at work now, I mean, we have things that are drudgery and then we have things that are like we're like play. Um, and what's the difference in those two? And uh, I, I found it fantastic. And so one of the in Ronan, um, we had actually had so we had met a few times. Um, we just had some web conferences. He reached out. We we connected via re- LinkedIn, and and then we just set up some web conferences. We would just sort of talk about you know, innovation stuff. So I knew I had, we had to have him on. But one of the one of the things that uh, um, they speak to is this idea of embodied cognition, embodied yeah. cognition. But essentially, it's like. We think with our whole bodies, like with everything. It's not just our brain. You know, you hear this brain-gut uh, connection as part of your brain, but but the fact of actually tangibly using things with your hands is part of um, is just part of your thinking mechanism, part of your problems, the way you solve problems. Um, yeah. And I really, I mean, I want to listen to it again right now uh, <laughs> because it was really. I just yeah. feel like there's a lot more I can still learn. It was uh, a very joyful experience. Yeah, it was fun. It, it was fun. Yeah, and maybe um, so th- that's a question. But but may- now you mentioned this embodied uh, cognition thing. Are they maybe one other person? I remember, but I think they were at least the first that both stood during our discussion. 
It's so natural. Everybody else sat, sat down, yeah. sat at their table. I'm sitting right now, so we are all sitting. And they, I think, quite purposefully, they both stood while yeah. they went well. In the, and I don't think that's that. So I think that was on purpose. Yeah, I think we Maybe had a few others. I, I think, um, uh, I think we had also. Uh, Jan Schmidgen, I think he was standing. I, I was, yeah, me. And I think Ian Kerr also was standing. Mm. I think Mr. Joe was standing. I could be wrong. Oh, yes. That could possible. be. Or yeah, he yeah, yeah, just yeah. had a great Joe setup. Leach. Right. He had a great setup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, but was, sorry. I, yeah. yeah. It was just one of my favorites. I mean, I, I'm not going to say a favorite, but I'll say one of them. I don't know. I just found them delightful to listen to. And I feel like a lot to learn from. And, you know, it makes, it makes sense that their area would be about play and, and, but they, but also, but not, but not necessarily fun, you know, like, like they would describe, well, what's the difference in this, these deliberate Lego exercises as opposed to riding a roller coaster, riding a roller coaster is fun, but there's really nothing transformative about it. Like you're not, It's just it's almost the lowest level of entertainment. I mean, just it's like you pick up a two-year-old, you sling him around, and that's fun. <laughs> but there's there's no transformation. There's nothing yeah. changed, and and so that was a I thought that was an important stink, distinction between playing and and having fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that I mean, Ronan at least I th- I, the way I remember it. No, I think she has a yeah. No, she has a PhD as well. I mean, right. there. They're extremely well read. I think yes, it was yeah. one of the episodes I had took most of the books away from. So I think Antonio Demasio, that was one of the names that came up. Yes, uh, if I remember correctly, like this, uh, what's the what's the it was Descartes' error? I think that's right. And as a philosopher, I mean that's a book you have to read. That's right. So so I, I really like this 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 um it was an extreme it's an extremely thought-provoking episode and i think they're quick thinkers they connect a lot of different things so a hugely entertaining thing to listen I, to i can tell you if i had if i was in a corporate situation and had a team or i wanted some folks to get to be better at working together if we had something we were trying to bust through i would be reaching out to how might we and uh, get their thoughts on it and uh, yeah. think about working with them i would highly recommend i would be very interested in that yeah yeah i was extremely impressed also by the just uh, you you hear lego and you think of children and and uh, you know (laughs) something quite simple and playing and not necessarily that deep but i mean the thought that they've put behind their work is is very it's truly astounding they they really thought very deeply about these things read extensively they, they there's a whole there's a there's a whole world behind the legos and, yeah. uh, and i thought it was also extremely uh and interesting and he they're both very animated in how they they talk about their their topic very passionate so i enjoyed that episode a lot too yeah i mean they <laughs> I think the the ne- it probably was the next one or it was the one before I don't know but Indy Young so talking about passion I felt like the episode with Indy Young she was I mean I think that is one of the the episodes I I also enjoyed so 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 deeply because I mean you you could really feel the the wealth of, of experience that she's talking from um so am I right so yeah let's jump over to to to, to Indian Young I I 
I mean, she has, I think it's mainly focused on qualitative research, but not exclusively, but that's, I mean, she's a qualitative researcher, um, I think in San Francisco, if I'm not mistaken, but probably works works all over like we all do. Um, and probably best known for the phrase mental models. I think that is what she, she invented. And now I think her latest book is Time to Listen, is the latest book that she put out. And it's about how you actually, well, understand human beings and how you talk to them and how listening is so, such an important feature in all our innovation and strategy strategy efforts. So, I mean, I was just hugely impressed by by the delicacy or the 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 the, the, the finesse that she had, that like the 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 well thought out way of how she does qualitative research. I mean, she called these listening sessions. So that already is a different frame and they they've it's such i mean listening sessions take the time they take like whatever that means it can be short can be long i think she does one of them per day or two maybe something like that so it's 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 not and it's really i felt like uh, so when we do this, we say, okay, we do four, maybe five or six interviews per day. We have a clear schedule. We jump from one and one. We have some air in between. And and her approach was, I felt like it, it's much, much more open. You can go very different ways. And you're really, you're really, really listening to the person and going with whatever the interview is saying and whatever comes up. And it's not just, and that's, I think, the beauty of her approach. And it's not just, well, you get lost in whatever, but somehow this is all connectable and usable later on in her approach to, to actually build some innovations that that solve customer i mean solve customer problems she she used the language of uh it helps them prog no um progress toward to make progress toward the purpose i think that is that is kind of the the language that she used and i was just i mean hugely impressed by the the depth of thinking that went into how she does qualitative issues I just love the commitment to qualitative and I've, I'm a complete believer yeah. in it. I mean, you know, quantitative obviously has its place and there's a lot of value there, but you know, for, for all the talk of data analysis and all this stuff, you know what? I personally, I have no problem acting on a great qualitative work. You know, if you do the quantitative and you learn something completely, completely new, you didn't hear in qualitative, something, I, I'd question your survey. I'd question, I'd say something's gone wrong there because our brains, now our brains are imperfect, you know, because of confirmation bias and all sorts of things. But that's where Indy has, you know, she's, she works hard at this listing she works hard at stripping her bias out that's all any of us can do but that's the biggest thing i took away from it is well, a couple of things one is just look just believe in qualitative and qualitative can be enough and that's an opinion yeah. I, I don't know that i'm right but it's a it's a position that i share with her that qualitative can be enough the other thing is just almost more of a human thing there's just a kindness to her I mean, if she was interviewing yeah. me, I think I would tell her everything. Uh, you, you just stole what I was going to say. I was just going <laughs> to talk about that. No, totally. I I mean, I second the, everything you say, Scott. I, I also really enjoyed this uh, focus on qualitative. And she, she, at some point, I don't have the exact quote, but she said something to the effect of that um, if you design for the average user, you're harming people. And, and that's yeah. just to mm -hmm. show the um the level of of commitment to 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 doing 
of her values, basically, I think, of, of not doing harm to people and, and trying to make the world a, a better place for, for everyone. Um, she also introduced, I, I thought, in, uh, an interesting new concept, which is the strategy space. She talked about the, there's the problem space, solution space, and strategy space, which I think yeah. is also uh, if, uh, talks about in, in her books. Um, yeah, and also someone who really is uh, was uh, a joy to listen to, just because she she expressed herself so well and um, yeah, and has something to to say that's. Uh, I think she's really mastered this art of creating. I mean, it's okay. It's all these kind of different words, but it's creating a space that you feel comfortable just sharing whatever with her. So that that's I completely agree. And and for me, it's these this so the. the one of the key distinctions, maybe that's um, one of those biases, kind of the discussions that we have yesterday are more important than discussions we had later on. But I, I had a discussion yesterday and, and I would, okay, maybe we we, we, we went, go off topic here too much, but I have a hypothesis that um, if we talk about from a jobs to be done perspective about being solution free, there's a lot of people that misunderstand solution free. And that are not really, I think solution agnostic would be a better term. So because solution free is something like, well, you can be solution free in a sense where you say, okay, I'm open to whichever way the idea then in, in the final form goes. And that people believe is solution free, but I think it's not. But solution agnostic would, would be more, maybe more powerful in the sense of, I don't even know or care about the solution yet. So and, and I think she had this very deliberate way of, of distinguishing problem space, solution space, and in between is the strategy space. And that for me just made it so so clear how everything fits together. And, and I liked her emphasis on the problem space. And I feel like still that is, I feel like, yeah, yeah, solution free or, or, or yeah, yeah, problem space is in danger of becoming just a phrase everybody uses and, and, and just do the same things that they've ever done before always done before anyway so that's yeah. my what is yeah, that? one, my perf my, my my own rant or whatever <laughs> the one thing that you know also i remember is you know and i don't i don't remember the details about it but in her qualitative work you know there's a, a quite and i'm not gonna have her terminology exactly right but it's you know there's um you know quite a bit of work to understand the patterns like she's recognizing patterns yeah uh, to draw these conclusions and um I would, if I, you know, I would love to see what that process is like. I mean, I think when any of us that do qualitative work, you're out, we're always, to some degree, we're doing that. We're looking for patterns. But she had a real, perhaps because there's not a quantitative phase, there was a real, I don't know, there was that, we didn't get in a lot of details on that, but I'd love to, I'd love to know what that process is like of finding yeah. patterns, validating. I mean, you, you know, you do an interview, you, you get a certain perspective, you do another one, some things are, are reinforced and then there's something that are, is in conflict you know so as you personally i you know as i'm yeah. doing this i i'm i have this recency bias like the the, the one i did today seems to be what just seems to be yeah those conclusions are a bit bigger in my mind than one i did 10 days ago so how do you have how do you keep that in balance the you know, the 10 days ago versus the one for today how do you address the recency bias of a qualitative interviewer. I, 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 you know, Absolutely. we didn't get into that much nuts and bolts, but I would, 
uh, I would suspect she's she's has a solution for it. Yeah. All right, shall we move on? Let's move on. So, um, so the the next uh, guest uh, we're gonna present is Jim Kalbach, who is a very well known name in the uh, jobs to be done space. And Jim Kalbach, I I have to say, I think that's one of my favorite episodes. I would totally recommend it as a first episode to listen to for anyone who wants to know more about jobs to be done and who wants to get the basics because we cover absolutely everything in in that episode <laughs> i think and i it, it's it's really it was really amazing I, and i think that i think all the important uh, topics were were covered and uh, jim is also someone who is very used to to explaining and facilitating getting people on board so he's uh, also very good at presenting the ideas in a in an entertaining and uh, very knowledgeable uh, way um, so I think one one insight I really got out from there even though I typically I think I've I, I've, I, it's hard to get really new insights on on jobs to be done, uh, uh, given just the the amount of time we spend uh, talking about it. But uh, I think one insight I got from Jim uh, uh, for, for me was the this notion that jobs to be done separates the the it sounds obvious now when you said, but he said it in a really nice way that you separate the metrics and the jobs. So. He said, typically in design thinking or, or or in other approaches, you would mix up the metrics with the function or the job you're trying to to achieve. So, yeah, he gives one example, which is find cheap airfares quickly, and this is uh, how people might uh, express a job, but this is not not correct or not correct in the jobs from the jobs to be done perspective because you're mixing up the job which is to find airfares and the metrics that you use to measure the um, how well the job is done which is well cheap cheaply and quickly and and i thought that was you just explained it in a really nice way and 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 i mean we touched on so many different things we we also talked about um you know why designers often push back against jobs to be done. Um, uh, I really liked uh, also his his focus on using the what all the tools he uses. He's he's someone who's really good at bringing together lots of different techniques and making them work for him himself and and getting the best out of each of the tools and techniques and uh, and. I think his focus is always alignment. And I think he's very clear yeah. on that. And I thought that was also an interesting insight that it's really about alignment. So getting people to communicate, to be on the same page. And as he says, he's one of his quotes in, a, in the episode is, it's not the map, it's the mapping. It's not the noun, it's the verb. And I, I really like that quote also. So it's about, yeah. it's the process of doing the work that actually 
where the most of the value lies, uh, not yeah. only in the result. So anyway, I think that's, uh, if if I remember this correctly, I think he used this expression a couple of couple of times. And I really now that you're saying this, it makes me think of that. Where he says, "Well, now that we have the job map, so let's say we did we, we did a job map or maybe in a workshop, or whatever. Now we can have better conversations." I think he's, he, several times he used this expression, having, the goal is having better conversations. And, and it reminded me so much when he talked about this alignment topic that he's really coming from, I have, a, I have a scattered team, they do different things, they use different approaches. So how can you kind of bring them together and have aligned conversations that are more precise, that have a more clear structure and that really then kind of, and, and, and he uses different ways and jobs but seems to be something that is doing the job quite well. Of, of, of having those better conversations that are more structured, more to the point, more really also probably in the user perspective. So I really like that as well. That's true. He's, he, and I think his book shows this as well, is it's, it's about bringing things and people together, right? So that kind of building the, connecting the different things. And then it's a perfect example of, of, of American pragmatism, like taking <laughs> everything where it is and just building your things so that it works. So I, I really liked it as well. American pragmatism. I don't know that I've yeah. heard that phrase, but I'll, that's a good, that sounds like a good thing. But, but with Jim's practical comes to mind. That was sort of one of my thing because his book is like, let's get, let's get going. This is the plays book. These are the things you do. Let's get, let's get started. Let's get working yeah. together. And um, I think um, that's one of the things I love about it. Another thing is it's probably the only book I know of that has that, that brings a lot of different jobs you've done perspectives together all in one place. Most um it speaks of you know Oleg, but also but these but um Moesta and other jobs we've done folks, obviously Christensen um and Bettencourt, but you know, they're all he sort of brings them all together. And he used a phrase that I've I've copied myself because I think of myself this way too. He says I'm not an I might have this messed up a little bit, but something to the effect I'm not necessarily an innovator, but I'm a curator. And I say the same about myself in that he's he's a curator. He's he's finding things and bringing them all together. And that's probably, you know, it's always a tough question. Where would you, what would you start reading? Normally I recommend what customers want is what I recommend people going to, but to get, to get a bigger understanding of all the different, all the other different thinkers sort of all in one place, his book is, uh, the Jobs You Don't Playbook is probably the, is probably the only one I would say the best one but it's probably the only one that has these multiple perspectives all, all there together it's 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 uh, comprehensive it, it really uh, because there are a lot of different branches in jobs to be done different people saying different things and he really tries to bring everything together uh, without judgment and just saying okay you know what's yeah. good about this good about that and I think that's really really useful and I think on this episode also I I mean, as I was saying before, we, we discuss a lot of the kind of first questions you have when you learn about jobs to be done. And we also spend quite a bit of time talking about um, what what can you focus on if you're not a big company? This is a criticism uh, jobs to be done gets a lot, you know, that it's 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 too heavy. It's it's a big it's a heavy process. And if you're a startup, you can't do it, et cetera. And, and we actually talk about that quite a lot. And he he's as he's really pragmatic as as you uh, as you nicely said uh, Jan um he really goes into the details of oh, yeah, first you should do a job map then you do this and and i thought it was i thought there's some great insight in in the whole conversation so i'd really recommend uh, 
yeah. uh, anyone starting starting out with jobs to be done to and and others to listen to that one uh, maybe first. If, yeah. I mean, there is also, I mean, if you really want to have clarity about Jobsman, there is there's some guy that wrote a, a, really a, a great book. It's called The Statue in the Stone. I don't know if you know it, Scott. Oh, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. That, that's a great one. I would really recommend as well. As I, starting I definitely point. recommend that book. <laughs> Against all the confusion that you might have about Jobs Done, there is the perfect remedy. It's The Statue in the Stone. It's one of the best books about Jobs. the guy's called... Um, Scott, Scott, I Scott, Scott yeah. something <laughs> with a B. I don't know exactly what. Yeah. But it's funny. It occurs to me here at our year end, we didn't really tell our origin story of how we got together, which really, it was really uh, through that. But maybe, maybe we can. That's something we can get around to in a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say about Jim? Oh, the job map. He uses the job map as sort of the core process of his training. Uh, yes. So in the training, most of the, you know, the, a lot of times jobs done training, it more begins with sort of just background and Levitt and Christensen. And, but he, he, he gets stuff, people started. Let's learn how to build a job map. That's that good old American pragmatism. But I sort of like that. It's like, whoa, let's yeah. get started. What's step one, step two, step three? And I'm like, wow, what an innovative way to teach that. I just never, it didn't. For to me, like the background, like seems important, and it is. But I, but I'm like, wow, what a novel approach! Just get started, and then along the way, oh, uh, oh, a job step is also a job, a solution that not. So you can sort of teach it as you as you build yeah. the job map. And it, I, I will say this: in in every now and then, I'll be asked to teach, just like at a university, like one hour lecture or something, and. I do that. And now when I do the job mapping part of it, that almost always pulls people in. And yeah. so more so than me talking, going on about the background. So I think, I think with Jim, the word, the theme we keep coming to is, is practical and it gets yeah. folks working and, and to see the connection of, of, you know, what's step one, step two, you know, one of the, the, um, one of the criticisms of the field of statistics is that it's a big set of tools let me just take this big box of tools and just throw it at you. Just and like, what do <laughs> yeah. I do? What do I, it's completely, it's the opposite of a job to be done. It's the, I, I, what am I even trying to do here? You just throw all these tests at me. Just this box of statistical tests, you dumped them on my head. And, and now, you know, I feel bad because it feels abstract and I can't understand. I can't understand. And so he takes the opposite approach instead of dumping all the tools on your head. Hey, let's let's roll up our sleeves and get started. Let's build a job. Oh, by the way, this is what a job step is. Oh, when we're building a job map, you know, this is what we're trying to do. Oh, beneath each step, you know, we can have outcomes of how we define how well each of these is done. Oh, also, there's these you know, related jobs in addition to this too. So, I you know, I I I'm, I wonder. So, I, I was I don't have the question to ask him, but if I was going to ask a question, it would be where did that insight come from to begin with the job map for most of us that have taught it that seems to be something that's in the middle of the course as yeah. opposed to the course and so I, I found that to be very innovative but but jim comes from you know we described a, you know the, a typical path an engineer becomes a product manager is maybe a typical path i don't know but jim's path is as a designer and as a user experience person and so maybe, by the way, it's a community that designers are often the ones that don't sort of like are a little skeptical of jobs you've done. Does it feel practical enough? It feels too abstract. They're ready to get started doing something. So maybe that background as a designer helped him to, you know, 
really see or just to yeah. get started that like, good old american pragmatism I, i'm gonna, I'm gonna use I that see you big that <laughs> i'll use that phrase now yeah so by the way maybe maybe here shout out is in place i mean he there's just his jobs to be done untangled i think he does the Something yeah, like yeah, once a month or so, which yeah. is completely open session, Zoom, Zoom session. It's really helpful. You can ask all your questions. He has a jobs been untangled, and yeah. the jobs been on toolkit is the website. So yeah, check that out. It's really, it's really helpful. Yeah, if you follow Jim on LinkedIn, yeah. you'll, 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 uh, you'll see those announcements. And and one of the things I really like about Jim is is I mean, there's lots of things, but but regarding jobs be done is he really does embrace all these sort of different schools of thoughts within it. And even though like I have a position, I have things that sort of that I'm comfortable with, I stop short of saying that's the way to do things. I don't know how, I don't, I don't know. But, and so with Jim, wow, that's a great place to, it's a great, he's a great person to learn from because he's yeah. got this, just a better, higher level perspective of all the, he sees the good in lots of, lots of things, uh, lots of different perspectives. And yeah. Yeah. So maybe this this aspect of, of of teaching and how how do you get well people to learn something? I feel like that's a great kind of gateway over to Dan. I mean, Dan Adams, hmm. he was on. He is he the founder of the AIM Institute? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So Dan, I worked for Dan at the AIM Institute, and Dan created uh, the new product blueprinting process, which is exactly. a it's a qualitative and a quantitative voice of customer method, similar to what we're generally familiar with. That's his core product. And yeah, so he's he's the founder of the AIM Institute. That's right. And I felt like for him, he, I mean, what what I really saw is there is, I mean, he must, I, I haven't had the chance to, to be in one of his courses or something, but I think he has been training a lot of people and you can really feel his experience and how he, how he, um, well, how he must be one of the great teachers, I think. So he had this, I mean, I don't mean this in, in any way disrespectful. I mean, he had this kind of grandpa vibe that tells you a story. And suddenly after the story, you learn a couple of, of, of very insightful things that you can now use. So uh, probably his trainings are much are a bit different, but he really had this. He really knew how to take you from a place where you don't know things and feel uncomfortable to a place where you know things and feel comfortable. And and he made all these difficult things and that, that I mean, it's difficult to understand this in the very beginning. He made it sound like I, I can get you there. So I really liked how, how he did that. I really liked the episode with him. Um, I mean, there's so much in there from a methodology standpoint that I find interesting. One of the most interesting things, I think also this edition, um, well, one is the whole blueprinting approach. That, and that is really a software that you can use. There is a couple of other things um, that, that are really unique, I think. And then there is this very, very tiny detail that I remember quite vividly how, for example, in a typical, if you so want, uh, jobs have been on study, in a sense, you get at one point this question of, okay, I now have an unmet need. I know it is not solved in the market, be that qualitatively or quantitatively, you now know this. But the, the question naturally comes up is, but well, how and how much do I need to improve the solution? Like, okay, it's unsolved, but if I improve the solution by X, will that already address the pain point or not? Or how, like what, what exactly did I, the, 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 like the dimension of, of, because that's an open question. And I think he had this addition to the kind of question where he, he would ask this. So there is a, is, 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 a, is an additional part in, in, for example, if you do the quantitative part in the survey, 
where you would ask kind of to have hard numbers if the product, of course, is suitable for, for these kinds of questions. But you would know by how much do you need to improve that product dimension in order to solve the problem. And I think that is, especially in the B2B context, which the AIM Institute, I think, is specialized in, is it's extremely helpful. Because you want to find that perfect point of like how much imp- how much money do I basically, how much money or resources do I need to spend for improvement so that it exactly hits the mark? Because you yeah. never want to overspend. Overspend right. is really, really difficult. Underspend is exactly the same problem. I mean, if you invest, then invest the right kind of money. So I, I felt that from a methodology standpoint, I find that really, really interesting. And I would have loved to dive deeper into that as well. How exactly, I mean, he, there is, I think there is, of writing of course and this um that i found was one of the most the most interesting parts actually in, in the discussion hey jonathan you yeah. mentioned that startups often feel sort of left out of the jobs you've done conversation another a huge audience that feels left out are b2b marketers and b2b innovators and you could have a massive company 10 billion 30 billion dollar company and she would think wow they must have really you know that you know they're doing lots of research and but you, when you when you look, they're often not. You often find yeah. they're. But it's because, like, if I'm a product manager for a particular textile, let's say fabric, let's say, well, the total market for that fabric might be fifteen million dollars. You know, so it's a pretty small number. You know, and then maybe my share of it. You know, maybe if I have so if I have a dominant market share, you know, maybe then I'm selling five million dollars, which is which which for a thirty billion dollar company is not not that big a deal. Uh, so you're not going to spend a million dollars of research to move your market share, move it 10 percent. You know, it's just yeah. the numbers don't make sense. So there's so what does that mean? That means the B2B marketers often have to do the work themselves. You have to do the interviews themselves. You have to do the quantitative themselves. And that's where new product blueprinting fills that space for the for folks. And, and actually, Jonathan, this would even though I'm describing it in a B2B context, this would work uh excellent in a startup situation as well. Why? Because what's common about it is you've got limited budgets, you've got limited time, you've got somebody uh, pressing you for to move quickly. And to your point, Jan, you know, how, you know, if, if, if back to my fabric scenario, let's say I'm, um, it's for tents. We make, sell this fabric to tents. That's a B2B application. And, you know, our customers say, well, they want it to be more waterproof. I mean, and you can, we could write, waterproofness as an outcome yeah. we can we can talk through that we can get lance on the uh, on the phone it's great with words <laughs> he can help us to write the the words for that but then it comes to how waterproof it, it turns out like yeah. in an absolute sense nothing is waterproof because with a with enough pressure water penetrates anything so it's waterproof it's not like yes it is no it's not like there's a continuum and there's metrics and how do you measure waterproofness and what level of waterproofness for our tents is barely acceptable? And what's those numbers? And what level of waterproofness, like our, our tent usually perfectly satisfied? Well, that gives us a nice range we know we need to be between. We know we can't go beneath that barely satisfied. And if we go past the perfectly satisfied uh, and we add cost to it, we're destroying value. So, so that's what's great about yeah, under the surface, uh, you say, what's different about new product blueprinting is for other jobs we've done or voice of customer methods. I think it's that most, a lot of us, we sort of avoid these questions because it, we just do most, well, for whatever reason, most 
this yeah. job's done practitioners sort of stay out of the performance numbers. But then you've got an engineer there. She's like, well, well how <laughs> waterproof is it going to be? Well, blue product blueprinting answers that question. And Jonathan, I was just reflecting when you're talking about startups. It wasn't creative startups in mind, but I feel like it probably would have um, a lot of usefulness in a startup market uh, or startup folks with limited budgets, you know, but you still want to do some work and you still want to have some numbers to take to your investors and whatnot. I think that would be also a good usefulness for that. Yeah. And, and also, one thing I really liked uh, about Dan is he he's he's I, I mean a teacher, he's someone who likes to to yeah. transmit knowledge, and I think even this uh, seeps into the philosophy of uh, the AIM Institute. I mean, you all know better than I do, uh, Scott, of course, but um, I think part of the contrary to many consultants, uh, uh, he will. Uh, or external research firms who will, where the incentive is to keep the the knowledge for yourself and to so that the clients always come back. Um, I think uh, what I recall is really the t- the idea is to to teach people how to do their to conduct their own research. And I think for B two B firms, it was really important for for um, for him that they can. They can do it themselves, and and I think this resonates also with we also discussed this a bit in the in the in the episode that he uh, homeschooled his his children, and so he also wrote a book on yeah, on yeah. Uh, on that and and how to yeah. educate. So I think education and 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 transmitting knowledge and 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 know how is really part of 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 him from what I uh, gathered, and I. I really, I really like that as a again from a value standpoint, and from the use of it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's so important. You know, again, a lot of us get so excited about the innovation process and this and that. We get all about the process and what about emotional job? You know, we just get right into the thing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, to get a company to get people to adopt it and to use it. You know, it, it's it's a different job, if you will. I mean, it's it's about helping them to feel good about themselves and to get started and to get out there. There's how do I, how do you take somebody that's 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 intimidated, like oh, I don't really want. Uh, they're not going to say this, but essentially they're scared to interview customers. Basically, yeah. they're, they're intimidated. That's by exactly the it. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. So how do you give them the confidence and to really and the, a pat on the back at times and say, hey, you know, you can do it. And, and, you know, if you're a, you know, for leaders of big companies out there, you know, you've probably hired lots of trainers and, and a lot of times that training becomes a book on, uh, it becomes a big binder on the shelf. Well, we, we got six Sigma training last year. Uh, we got fire safety. It's, it's like, we got the fire safety training last year. It's like no different. We're not doing anything different it's because of it. And so Dan brings a real kindness to it and a real empathy, um, and his mission is to help people to give them what they need to do the work on their own. Part of it, of course, is understanding the process, but also is is he's a, an encourager. Um, and also, and another thing, it's, I guess the third leg of this stool would be making sure they have the tools they need. Like if something's difficult, well, can we create a tool for that? Can we create a template for that? And most of that within blueprinting is all around blueprinter uh, software, which is a sort of end to end tool. And by the way. 
I'll say this: we with Blueprinter just has a new survey function. I feel like I, I don't want to go, I don't want to go into <laughs> commercial mode here, but but there's a, a survey function within that. But again, but the, what's the, why is that significant? It's because Dan is looking at what do these B two B marketers need? What are they struggling with? Oh, they they don't have any way to survey their customers and use Qualtrics or SurveyMonkey. You know how does that? That you're asking them to figure out something else. How can I get? How can we build this into the software that's like super, super easy uh, to use? It's very nice. I, I think I feel like I mean I have to bring this in. That that's I, I think it's it's a wisdom he also took. Probably it's it was around there anyway. But but I, I remember this vividly, um, and 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 it really shows to where where kind of yeah his wisdom goes. So. I mean, the sentence that I that I saw, I, and I love this. At one point, we were talking about um, how to conduct an interview and what's your kind of stance if you do this, actually. And, and it was a lot about this, okay, taking yourself back. And and and, and I think you can feel this also in the way he probably then teaches and, 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 and gives. So taking yourself back and giving the other person the stage, basically. And, 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 and so this, this, this attitude that you need to have. And the sentence that he brought up, I love this. He said, but this makes me think of, um, as a young man, I was worried about what others think about me. As a middle-aged man, I learned not to worry too much about it. And as an old man, I realized they weren't thinking about me anyways. So <laughs> that for me was like the perfect wisdom. And, 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 and now as a kind of kind of young man, somehow young man, I'll, I'll try to take that with me. <laughs> yeah, but Dan's a great teacher. And having sat in his classes a lot and watched him teach, he's a beloved teacher, I might even say. So... If you need some B2B training, a voice of the customer, reach out, reach out to Dan, or you can reach out to me. <laughs> and with that, let's, tra let's, let's transition to, to be at Walther. Um, and I loved, I loved the model there at, <laughs> at his company, Venbridge. Frame, discover, spin, and develop. Now, it's actually, this is sort of a coincidence, but a similar theme that we were talking about with Dan is that Dan Adams is that you know he doesn't just stop at understanding the needs. It's like now, what are the what are the numbers we need to hit? In a similar way, Biot in with Vinbridge doesn't stop at all right. We've got a prioritized list of customer needs. You know, good Off luck. Go. I can't wait to hear about. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about the good stuff. It's literally just two of the two of the steps and. The degree that spinning new ideas to growth that, you know, we need to stay involved. We need to help you understand the opportunities within this data. We need to share with you also. So we've got the quantitative data, but we did these, excuse me, we did these interviews. We need to help color the, this with what we saw in qualitative, share, give you an additional depth of what's behind these numbers. Again, so it's not just you don't want the research. You don't want training to be a binder on the shelf. You're just as bad. You don't want you don't want uh, your research project just to be uh, just to be a binder on the shelf. And yeah. so staying with um, he stays with his clients and helps them to come up with new ideas, generate ideas, sharing what they've learned and actually develop them. The, the, that was one of the big. Well, that was process wise. That was a huge thing. Yeah. But also, but I really found uh, Biad's um, origin story if, uh, interesting as well in that he learned a lot of these techniques initially with P&G and like we got really yeah. good training. And immediately I was like, do, do you know Ben Ambassador? Somebody else will talk about 
um, who who contributed to B, to P and G's method. So I thought that was just a, maybe it's just a coincidence. But here we had two of our guests that really cut their teeth and learned innovation uh, initially working for for P and G. Maybe it's a still a good place yeah. to learn innovation. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, Beat is the first person, the real person that I had contact with in the jobs to be done space. Um, I, I remember searching on on uh, on LinkedIn, typing jobs to be done. I think it was 2015 or something, and mm-hmm. um, I I fell on on his name, and so maybe a bit later, I don't remember exactly which year, but it, it was some time ago. And he's one of these guys who's been there really from the very beginning. I mean, he he's followed the whole development. He's super knowledgeable about the whole space, extremely clear, um, a bit like a, a Tony Olwick. He really, you know, is extremely clear on, on, on his approach and why he does what he does. And so it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk with these kinds of people because they are, they, they've thought about um, the questions. So they'll have a, a really nice answer. And I think uh, also for people who, who are, you know, maybe interested in learning more about job speed. And I think this is a, a, an interesting episode to, to listen to. I also think what's in, uh, interesting, you touched on this, Scott, is the fact that Beat comes from marketing. And this is actually also where uh, yeah. how I got into the jobs to be done space. The, uh, I, the and this this is also I think jobs to be done is extre- we always talk about its use in innovation, but it's extremely powerful. It's an extremely powerful way of thinking for for marketing. And I mean, all these things obviously are connected. You you're you're obviously selling a product in marketing that another part of your company has uh, has developed and so there's a there's a connection between uh, these two spaces and and i think jobs to be done really is that connection between marketing and the uh, let's say uh, development yeah. or, or innovation or the development of the product side of things yeah. and and that really brings that that knowledge and that that vision and I think it's not for nothing that he's one of the proponents. I mean, other people have proposed this idea too, but this idea of the hierarchy of of jobs and on on how you can uh, you can talk about a you know a higher level jobs, and I think this really fits in well with with the uh, with the communication marketing also. So yeah, an interesting angle also on on the space. I think the way I mean I now know him for ten years plus or so, and 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 he I mean he's the guy. And I love this about him. He, he he reads something somewhere or makes an experience in a project and it immediately gets translated into the next version of the approach. So it's like, we're, I mean, we're talking now internally, we're saying, okay, we're at VentBridge 4.0. So kind of at version 4.0 and, and we're talking now about what is 5.0. So, he, so he's constantly developing his things and, 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 and he's intellectually extremely curious. And I think it was last week or so where, where where he put exactly what you're describing. So this marketing angle to me in a way that I, I think I will never forget. I mean, probably for maybe for people at PNG, that's obvious, but but what but the way he phrased it, it was saying, hey, well, I worked for I think he 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 was in Pampers. Okay, Pampers is maybe a different thing, but very exchangeable things. And, and he said, Well, every day my question was, how do I make the exchangeable unique? 
How do you do this? If you have an exchangeable, yes, okay, Pampers had kind of a technological commodity. advantage. How do you, exactly, you are in the commodity space, but how, and then how do you do, how do you make that unique? And there is a, the only thing that, that really is powerful there is, is the consumer insight in, a, in the broadest sense. And that's where he, he really is coming from. So the consumer insights, and then, and then he really latched onto, and onto the jobs with an approach because it's one of those, it's, it's probably one of the most unique ones that gives exactly those granular insights that you need in order then to make, to, to really have an angle or, or a lever to make things differentiate that are exchangeable otherwise. So I think that is kind of, so, yeah. And, well, we'll see in a year or two, Vembridge 5.0, we'll see what it looks like. Probably Frame and Discover is going to stay. I'm not sure about the other ones. Um, we're now talking about Frame, Discover, Spin, and Scale, but that's a different thing. So, <laughs> hmm. Well, he's continuing to learn and add to and adjust. I mean, that's that's fantastic. There's, there's a, a lot of other folks that sort of, they write the book and whatever, and it sort of becomes that becomes their limitation, like essentially the work they've done before. Yeah. And so that's, that's, um, I look forward to seeing what I think actually, I think I actually asked this in the conversation. What does uh, the next generation look like? So I look forward to, I'm sure you do too. I <laughs> see what that's going to be. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> well, somebody who's also always changing. I think he even wore the t-shirt. Wasn't it? It was like, like always, well, I think the t-shirts that always run a changing system or something like that. I think that's the next guest on our list. Jan. That's Jan Schmidtgen, right? So, I mean, I, I, I know him. He's a he's a design thinker in the broadest sense. Probably he wouldn't like me calling him that, but that's how I have kind of having him in his memory. He is one of the um, partners at Codify, and they're a lot about organizational structure. So how can you organize the structure? of an organization in a way such that innovation actually occurs so that it actually has uh, has has um well possibility to actually actually realize and materialize in the end and um, he uses design thinking for that but not not entirely uh, or not solely design thinking he he was our connection also then to the hbi institute so the d school in in berlin where they developed the methodology and applied as well and i mean He's, I think I, I called him this Dur Duracell bunny kind of energy people, and he really is. I mean, he, he, I just recently was in Berlin and I met him, and he could talk about, I mean, hours with him uh, about anything business, innovation, design thinking, whatever. So he is extremely knowledgeable. Um, I think what I mainly took from him is this, this, this challenge really of the organizational structure. I mean, he now is specializing more and more in, in this. Um, he said it so nicely, I think, in the podcast, uh, the German Mittelstand. So like the German smaller, small businesses, smaller to medium, large businesses. And they probably very often have an, have an organizational structure that is not suitable for innovation. A lot of that has changed in the larger organizations. We can discuss it as well, but I think even there. And, and that's, I think, what I really took with him. Very often we have to find ways in our work, like how can you work around the organizational structure how can you or how do you need to kind of bring your stuff into so it fits the organizational structure and he's really about designing design purposely designing that organizational structure um one of the nicest things i still remember and i i uh, that's also one of the things i stole i'm stealing from all of my guests so that just is a warning but the good stuff i just steal and one of the things i stole was where he said well at the beginning of each project he has this kind of um 
lever or I don't know exactly what, what, what how he called it, but where he said, okay, what do you want? Do you rather want innovators? Or do you want to create innovators or do you want to create innovations? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for me, the clarity it brought was not just, well, of course, that distinction is there, but having that discussion in a transparent way and say, okay, tell me now there's innovators on one hand on the one hand and there's innovations on the other hand where where do you want us to put the focus because very often that isn't clear or, or people want both or they say they want one thing and then you realize a month in they want the other so <laughs> and, and that's certainly something i'm going to steal well you're talking here you've got half a dozen people some of them want one some of them want the other but yeah. they're not even aware so well, by the way something i back to be the, the big part I love about the your process is the business intention, getting the business intention. You know, if you have six people, they might answer it differently. Yeah. And with, uh, do you want to innovators? Do you want to create innovators or innovations? The six people might also answer that differently. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah, I absolutely. thought that was a big, so big question. What I, what I really took away from uh, Jan's episode is something which I think most designers will feel is quite obvious, but people who are in the more jobs to be done space might not see it so obvious. I could be wrong, but for me, it definitely wasn't so, so much the case. So I, I think it's quite well explained. He had, he's super quotable. Also, I had I actually mm-hmm. wrote down tons of his quotes after the episode, and but the quote I I that expresses this idea that I want to uh, explain is we build to think Uh, and i'm not sure it's a quote from him but he definitely uh, said that in the in the episode and 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 that's for me something that was really a a very interesting insight and still something i'm i'm kind of uh looking at jobs to be done there's this idea that you you output this jobs to be done analysis and there you have uh, established the problem. And then development comes in and people, well, the development team comes in and they'll, they'll, they'll basically instantiate your, they'll create a solution for the problem you have laid out. And the, a lot of pushback that uh, is made against that from designers. And I think that there is a point there and, and, is, yeah. is this idea that it's uh, you actually understand the problem as you build the, sol- the solution. So there's this kind of feedback, this continuous feedback uh, between understanding the problem and, and creating the solution. And they both emerge yeah. somewhat in parallel. And I thought that was a really uh, powerful idea and uh, something that I've come across a few times uh, after that yeah. and uh, that is really something that's uh, stuck with me yeah that's true now that you mentioned it he, he said he, he explicitly said that, that they're moving kind of problem and solution at the same time exactly. me from the outside my, my my initial reaction would be well you're confusing problem and solution space but i think kind of they they would do this intentionally kind of this co-development of problems exactly that's that, the word he used yeah so, and that's co-evolving think, a problem and a solution yeah that's exactly. another one of his quotes exactly. yeah and i think that is that is probably there is these uh, that reminds me a lot of ronan of, of, of ronan and 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 his wife how they how they um uh, uh ronan and jane how they would also frame their approach and i think there is this part of well thinking through building that 
I'm I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not that kind of person. Probably maybe I could be. I don't know. But there are some who who learn and think in that way. And certainly, Jan goes into this. He's always this. <laughs> when I was in Berlin, we we stumbled upon a question, and I would be the guy. Okay, let's think this through. And he said, I don't know. I need to build stuff. And then he kind of built the mini website to see if it works. I mean, that's how how they approach things. Well, before as we wrap up, Jan again, what was what was his, his T-shirt said? always run a changing system always run a change I, I think it's a play on like, never change a winning team but he was always always and always run a changing system i think i think it's i think it's a i, I mean, think it's like never change never change a running system was the uh, yeah the yeah, yeah, yeah and then his was always change no always, always. run a changing system, run a changing system. <laughs> i mean it's beautiful <laughs> well and also, for those of you watch it on um, watch the YouTube, he had some pretty cool effects when he was uh, showing us yeah. um, pretty cool video effects. He's got some yeah. things I think he is set up that, like. that it's worth worth taking a look at. The other thing, well, Jan was in East Germany. That's uh, which was which was kind of I mean uh, that to me, I don't know. To me, that's just very interesting all by itself. I mean, uh, growing growing up in. Well, he would have grown up sort of, I'm not exactly sure how old he is, but um, probably after the wall came down, I would imagine. But, but um, what an amazing, what a different world that I'd, I'd it'd be something so foreign to me, what that must've been like growing yeah. up in East Germany after, after the, you know, becoming more Westernized, if you will. And so to, I guess to, to keep with our international theme, we had Katerina Kozletsova from Bulgaria, our only Bulgarian guest. Um, and one of the things that was really interesting about Katerina is she came from the hospitality industry. I mean, she she right. came to America at the moved to Florida as a young person, uh, started working for uh, Marriott, went through their professional program, and then just sort of started making observations that. Things that were not that great with the patient, or the patient. Sorry, I'm doing medical projects these days with the with the um, customer experience um, that were not were not ideal. Um, and then went and returned back home and just pursued a PhD. And now she's a um, a professor of innovation and has really become quite a student. Um, if you check out her on on LinkedIn, you'll see she's very well read, um, very well engaged with. Um, the jobs to be done and especially outcome driven innovation as the sort of the core of her, of, of her system. But um, I, I really, a quote I really appreciated of hers was that you're never really prepared or ready for your first product manager job. And I, I think as a former product manager, I think that's absolutely correct. You can, you know, you can go through all the training you want, but then you, you find yourself, you're, you've got a team of engineers You've got executives that are sort of looking to you for, for things, you know, you've got the, the engineers want to know what should we be building? What should the features be? And there's a lot of product managers that just start telling them, just start build this and that. But um, that's not what makes a, a, a good one. A good one's going to say, well, they're going to sort of question, well, who am I to answer these questions? Who am I to know this? I need to understand the customer needs. And that was something that she very quickly um, saw the need for, which I we didn't get into a lot of this detail, but which I presume led to her investigation as to well, how how is this done? What is ODI? What is jobs to be done? 
But one thing, it's just interesting, all these folks that we have that get excited about innovation and just their different starting points. Uh, yeah. You know, um, yeah. 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 I mean, it, she, she had tons of great references. I mean, um, uh, there were a lot of classic books that she, she mentioned that I hadn't necessarily read. So I really uh, jotted them all down and uh, they're in my uh, reading list. So, yeah, it was a very fun episode for that, for, for great references on yeah. innovation books. I remember I quoted her one of her very first papers and she didn't like that I did that. So <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll say now she has a book out in innovation, but I think it's just in Bulgarian. Maybe just, there is a translation coming, but I don't I, I don't know. I think it's just yeah. called innovation, right? That's yeah, called. but you're right, just in Bulgarian. So we, we gave her a little bit of a hard time about that. So maybe maybe that'll we'll, we'll get that in English. But I thought this was a nice quote. Uh, customers are not experts. When they ask for the solution, there's something missing. And, you know, there's just these common themes. But it's funny. It's like, I mean, for those of us deep in jobs to be done, that's intuitive. And it's like, as I read that, it's not like there's new information that I didn't have before. But I just, I really enjoy listening to the work, how other people come to this and how they phrase it, how they think about it. And I feel like, I feel like I'm still learning something I feel like I'm still learning something new. All the same, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's why it's so lovely to have so many different guests. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of uh, different guests, um, so the next episode we wanted to cover is the episode with uh, Murat Gokar and Francesco Cardoletti. So it was, I think, the first episode where we had two guests on at the same time. So it was a bit of an experiment. Um, also, it was quite different because these were not necessarily in the innovation space per se or design space per se, but um, real entrepreneurs and with a tremendous practical experience uh, in building ventures and building building companies. And um, so I was very happy that we could actually get um that side also of the story because um often uh, i feel we can get lost in theory and it's it's nice to be brought back to the ground a bit on okay what matters in the end in the end we are trying to build build businesses we are trying to sustain a living as a freelance maybe or whatever it is you're trying to do or as a bigger company also we have um, there are entrepreneurial considerations in 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 uh, bigger companies and so I was really happy to have um, these uh, uh, these two guys come on and um, talk about their um, experience. Uh, yeah. So Murat was extremely quotable. So it's quite an entertaining episode. So it's yeah. um, it's maybe not as structured. It's quite a, a free. Um, uh, we, we kind of jump around different spaces, but I think we cover some really important topics. Um, uh, on and, and concerns are on the entrepreneurial side. So dealing with mindset, dealing with the importance of passion, uh, dealing with the fear of failure. And uh, I think there were some really great nuggets in, um, in, in that episode. Uh, so as I said, Murat is extremely quotable and, uh, 
uh, I, there was a few quotes I had uh, that I uh, I quite like. So never underestimate the power of experience. Um, and another, he, yeah. he also some some interesting um, uh, assertions, which I actually uh, kind of agree with. But uh, it was quite blunt about it, which was quite entertaining. <laughs> so all businesses are essentially the same thing, uh, which I thought was also very interesting. Uh, what I thought was quite interesting about their approach, I I, I listened to it again uh, recently, and there's a big focus. One word that comes back often in the discussion is identifying gaps, identifying gaps in the market. And um, as, as they are not uh, uh, theoreticians about, about this, but they are more on the ground and this, we, we maybe didn't get into exactly what, these gaps were, I, what that means, but I think this is a word that really came came back quite often. Uh, how do we identify gaps, and um, and we talk about that in that in that yeah. show, and we also uh, really focused on on uh, mindset. I, I get the feeling I'm repeating myself yeah. slightly. Do you guys have anything <laughs> to add? Well, I felt kind of the same thing. I mean, they. Yeah, you really know that they were talking from experience. I think they, the beginning, they were talking about how they had a kind of, they ran a business of bringing people to clubs or something like that in New yeah, York. Right. So it's really kind of, they have worked themselves down from the street level up kind of, kind of, kind of story there. And I really liked it. I mean, and then, and, and as you said, he was, he was really, bummed. one thing here where, where more was really about was just all businesses are essentially the same. Um, I wouldn't have the experience to judge it, but I just love, I loved it how he just, he, he put it out. I know it. I mean, he's not, I think in pharma, I think ID, exactly, Ideogen yeah. or something like that is the company. Ideogen is the, is the company Murat yeah. is at. And uh, Francesco is working for Unilever. I think he, uh, yeah, exactly. With, uh, Unilever. He's, he's managing yeah, kind of startup space. space. Yeah. 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 So I really liked that one where he's, he was, was, I mean, very blunt, very clear in their position uh, and also very open about, I think, when they actually failed and were quite, quite open about sharing that failure is just part, part of being an entrepreneur and how, how to deal with that, how to overcome that, that I think when reality punches you in the face, I think he used an expression like that. So I, I, I think if you really are an entrepreneur and, and, and or, or looking for people who have made that experience, that's certainly a great episode to start with. I mean, they, they've kind of felt like they've seen it all. They were fun too. They were just fun. Yeah, <laughs> they're just happy, and uh, yeah. they were. Uh, they, they you could were feel that they're friends. Like they could feel their friends. That definitely made it enjoyable. Yeah. And an an interesting combination. Also, uh, Francesco seems to be a bit more uh, uh, calm and uh, uh, maybe uh, more analytical in his way of seeing things. And Murat is really a. a has enormous energy and extremely uh, creative. I thought it had a really nice kind of uh, energy together. Also, both of them. Um, I also really liked the the point about they they we so so as I said, we discuss quite a lot of the the concerns that uh, entrepreneurs have, and uh, there was also an interesting point about prioritization. How do you prioritize what you should be working on at what time? And I thought that was also uh, quite useful. 
maybe we can move on to the next episode. Yeah. So yeah. speaking of entrepreneurs, we act, we had another entrepreneur. It's true. Michelle That's Hansen, right. who has she has a podcast, but also they have her and her husband. They have a software as a service company called Geocodio. Yeah. But but that's which was which was interesting in and of itself. But Michelle's the the reason we really reached out to her is she wrote, she wrote a, a fantastic book called Deploy Empathy, all about qualitative interviewing. And man, if it's interesting, I've actually been writing a book myself on qualitative interviewing. I'm sort of messing around with it. When I read her book, I was like, well, maybe I'll just uh, I just need to shelve my project because when is that coming out? I'm on a date from you. <laughs> when- oh, well, it was hers was so good. It's like, well, that's true. Nobody needs mine anymore. I mean, maybe I'll do it anyway because I've already worked on it a bunch. But it's um, but really from A to Z, how do you do a qualitative interview? Yeah. But it was, I mean, it's more than that. She talks about, well, how do you recruit people? How do you set things up? And, you know, her background is a lot more um, in product management, but for software. Um, so you're, you're, you know, you're gathering that, that insight and you're acting on it fairly soon, as opposed to also doing, you know, long, uh, quantitative studies as well. But, you know, she reminded me of Indy a lot in that there was just a kindness to the approach, just a listening. I mean, we had her on the podcast and then somewhere during the middle, she started asking us questions yeah. and then we're just like answering them. And, you know, she was like the, all of a sudden, I don't know. I just, I think I'd. I think I'd tell her anything. She started asking questions. She really has a, a knack of making it a safe place. And um, which I think that's that kindness and qualitative um, is really why she reminds me of, reminds me of Indy a lot. But um, one of the really interesting illustrations she had, well, there's a story she told that I thought was pretty good. I'll begin with that. And the story was when she was personally doing a project um, herself and she was interviewing it was in a financial industry and she was interviewing older uh i presume older well she was older, older people sort of in retirement or shortly after retirement about their investments and at the time she was a you know young woman uh, you know barely not much over 20 you know doing these interviews and she noted that they were sort of they would sort of talk down to her a little bit but she didn't let that bother her at all. She completely yeah. embraced that yeah. that need of her respondents to sort of, oh, let me teach you about this. Let me tell you how this works, which is a little condescending. But she, she didn't let that bother her one bit. She, she embraced that beginner's mentality. And, oh, yeah, can you explain this to me? I, I don't really understand how this works. And then she got this amazing information. Now, how is that different than what most of us would do? Most of us when we realize that somebody's sort of talking down a little bit, like our ego perks up and like, no, I know things about investments. You would start to say things that completely shut down the learning or reduce, at least reduce it. And so, yeah, that was a big, you know, really a big important, more than a nugget there. I mean, a principle, this, um, you let the customer be the expert. You don't, you, when you, when we're, if we start educating the customer, we're not learning anything. It's all about adopting that beginner's mind and, and really about getting your own ego out of the way. And her book is just delightful in that she thematically goes, yeah. not only helps explain that sort of in theory, but gives you like 
very practical examples that American pragmatism. She, she's an American. She lives in Denmark. She can sit <laughs> next to but, but, you know, here are some questions to ask. You can ask these questions. Here are some questions to ask there. And so, like, it, so it, she goes into, she discusses, you know, sort of the, well, why it's important to have that beginner's mind. But also she, her book, and even with us, she gives very practical examples about, all right, yeah. step one, what do you do? Step two, what yeah. do you do? And I, I felt, I found that um, not only is very enjoyable, but I mean, hers is another book, man. You can, why did I, it's like, why well, need to shelf my book? Because I, I sort of had the same idea in mind, something very practical. And that's really well, what her book is. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'll go on. No, I mean, I was going to say it's uh, the, so this was quite a, a um, particular experience for, for me, this, uh, this show, this particular episode, because uh, I didn't actually say that much just simply because I, I felt the conversation was going so great that I couldn't really add anything that would improve on it. And I didn't really um, want to distort what was going on. Uh, and at some point she focused her her gaze on uh, uh <laughs> on me and started asking questions and it, it was really i have to say yeah. quite quite impressive and um i was just really following along uh, getting all the information in, in and and learning a, a lot because this is not an area that i'm so familiar with so i was i was just really in kind of a listener in a, in a certain sense i couldn't really get into the the conversation myself and suddenly I was brought in like this and I could really feel the, 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 the this intent listening uh, that she uh, she suddenly projected on on me somehow. And um, it was an interesting experience. Yeah. That was a very powerful moment. <clears throat> I mean, you could really feel her. I mean, through all this digital mediated stuff, even through I mean, you could feel her kind of interview power starting. Yeah, right. and it was, it's, so it was a very nice experience. And I think. I mean, it goes back to something you mentioned before, Scott, where you said, well, many are, I mean, and then quite rightly so, scared of doing interviews, maybe at the beginning. There, there's good reason to be scared. I mean, it's it's a very difficult situation. You don't know exactly how the person's going to react. You need to be very flexible. But if you have that, then Deploy Empathy is 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 one of the best books around, I think, yeah. to kind of work with that fear and, 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 and kind of, because she has these very practical things as well of, Okay, here's here's how an interview is gonna run. You can train this with your family. Go out and ask them that. Yeah. So, so, extremely practical tips on how you can basically train the interview situation in your everyday life with people you feel comfortable with. So, so it's it's a strong recommendation. Exactly, if you have this, if you're I mean, looking at the first couple of interviews. The the image on the the cover of her book, which is this uh, rubber duck. Um, yeah. Uh, is an example of, of this approach. It's it's just really quite practical uh, yeah. that you have you talk while well, I mean she explains it in the in the episode, which I encourage you to go and listen to. Um, but um, many such examples, very pragmatic. There is one, but she admitted this. I don't know if she admitted it during the podcast or afterwards, but she's kind of also infused, of course, by jobs to be done philosophy. And there is there's one thing I couldn't mention in the episode from the book that I that I would love to mention. So she, I mean, they have somewhere in there, there's a section where she explains um, why it's so important to be solution-free or why it is hard for customers to come up with solutions. And there's a section in there and I still have it on my screen. That's why I, I, I have, so I have a screenshot of that. So, I think in it was Geocodio she's talking about, so the product, the software that they have. 
And they had this kind of survey feedback questionnaire. And one of the questions in there was just, what can we do to improve? What can we do better? Basically asking customer solutions, like what ideas for solutions. Um, and then she said, but we didn't really get a lot of actionable feedback. I realized that was because we were basically asking our customers to do our work for us. More than 80% of customers left the field blank. Garbage question, garbage question, garbage back. <laughs> and I mean, if anything proves kind of the hard fact data that why jobs be done is such a valuable approach is exactly that one. You can't mm-hmm. ask them. You, it, you, it's not their job to come up with the solution. That's your job. They're experts for, for their problems. So one of the things about, you know, Jonathan, you mentioned that the Doug story, and I found that to be very entertaining as well. And it was, I don't know if it was from her husband, who's a, who's a, who's a software engineer, but it was somebody she knew that was a coder. And, um, it, it went like this when she was trying, if somebody's trying to understand something, they would have a rubber duck on their desk and they would try to explain it, whatever this thing was, explain it to the rubber duck. It's something in that process of internalizing it and uh, speaking to it, help them to, to, to better, to better understand whatever this thing was that um, they were trying to sort through. And I'll say, I'll share this with you after our conversation with them, I was at the beach and I was I was out walking, and I saw a little rubber duck in a like somebody hit on their dashboard. They had like a like rubber ducks all across it. I couldn't help myself, so I took a picture and I uh, sent it to Michelle. I think I guess via Twitter or something, and she sent me a nice response back. And she was actually at a beach not that far from me. She lives in Denmark now, so yeah, that that was sort of that was sort of funny. But I think I'll continue doing that as I find rubber ducks in strange places. Uh, put them on Twitter. <laughs> What a fun little, what a fun, uh, a fun little yeah. emblem to have. Yeah. She, I think she gave a speech that based, I'm going to recommend as well on this whole um, Ford uh, quote, like uh, if I had asked my customers, I would oh, only yeah. get faster horses kind of thing. She has an awesome speech uh, uh, where she basically destroys the quote and the ways, and the hundreds of different ways you misunderstand it. Uh, and there she is on that's why i thought of it on the stage with a t-shirt and there's a rubber duck so (laughs) that tells you quite something about the importance of images and branding and all that and all that kind of thing for sure which in a very cheesy way leads over of course to images and pictures to Lindsay zoltman to our next guest kind of on the list um so so I mean, the importance of images, pictures, and especially metaphors. I think that is what Lindsay Zoltman was all about. Um, he is the son of the of the founder uh, or one of the co-founders of, uh, I think it's Ols- Olsen Zoltman. So these are the two uh, um, founders. And it's a wholly, completely new, for me at least, approach to qualitative research and and which is called ZMET. So Z-M-E-T is the kind of the abbreviation. And it's the Zaltman metaphor elicitation technique. Now, I hope that was correct, but I think that that's what ZMET is. So the purpose and the goal of this is to understand the deep metaphors and the unconscious thinking of your customers that they apply either in connection to your solution or to your brand or, or just in general, how they think and speak about the well, the 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 the, the markets you are in, and they they use different techniques. I think one of them is really co-creating kind of a kind of a picture almost, or they ask people to bring stuff with them to 
to an actual interview. And then from there, develop an understanding of um, of what are the, he, he used, they use the expression deep metaphor. What are the deep metaphors customer use when they think about your product, your brand or, or your solution? So there was this distinction between surface metaphors, which I think uh, he, he said that at least four, five to six of those metaphors, we just use them in our everyday speech per minute. So there's a huge amount of these surface metaphors and in their Exploration techniques, they they figure out and reduce it down to a couple of those deeper metaphors. I think there's 15 or 17, something like that. And they have discussions about how many, but there's like 15 or 17 of these deeper metaphors, which are things like balance, uh, journey, um, all that kind of different things, like almost... Um, uh, universally human deep metaphors, ways of, of unconsciously thinking about stuff. And I found it a really insightful and interesting new approach for me. Um, how you can actually get get out something from, from your customers that they might not even be so certain about. There's this whole discussion, of course, about late needs and all that kind of stuff and the, what, what is there. But it's kind of a ta tapping into a part of the brain that might not even be that clear to the to the participant in the interview themselves. So that, I found that a really interesting, fresh approach. There's a quote that I, that I really stuck with me. I think it was his father that said the quote, but he he repeated it also, I think, in the podcast. He's, and and I think the method that that they bring, so this ZMET methodology about deep metaphors that they bring to the table is really a re reflection of that quote. And the quote is, if you trust the people you want to understand, they repay that trust with insights. And I found this to be 100% true. I mean, that is, it's really this trusting the other person, giving them the lead in a certain sense and the space to, to well, to be able to share their thinking and kind of co-create or develop that understanding with during the time you have with them is, it's just, you get so much, so much more out of them. And, and the insights that you get are so, so valuable. And I think there is also, maybe that goes back well, that's a different thing, but still, I want to mention this. So it's also very different reading about kind of a reading a report about the customer interview and actually listening in, listening the customer actually speak. That is just such an invaluable source. And again, I think the like Indy in the beginning, the Lindsay Zoltman or the, that technique is is heavy on the qualitative side. And they, I think they have a couple of quantitative parts, if I'm not mistaken, or, or ways of of now uh, of quantifying things. But it's a heavily qualitative thing, but a really new, fresh, fresh approach to tap on this this unconscious, uh, yeah, kind of thing. So I, I really enjoyed it, and all this discussion yeah. about what is a metaphor and how 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 can you use that then later on for communication and even innovation. So there was a discussion mm -hmm. about why a Porsche has expresses the metaphor of masculinity and all that kinds of so I, I really liked it because it was a kind of a like a new perspective on things yeah well I, I think the the adjective that comes to mind for me is is it's a fresh I think you use the same the same word it's 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 a fresh approach which which is quite which is a metaphor in itself um, that's true right <laughs> and um and and that's really what I felt because it's it's something it seems obvious in hindsight but I never really thought of myself uh, it's never yeah. i never really thought about metaphors in the context of 
of innovation. I mean, I think of, obviously in the context of, uh, let's say, advertising and marketing, I think there's something yeah. more natural to do. But in, in the context of, of innovation, I'd never really uh, put those two things to, together. And um, I found it was uh, very enlightening and some it's, it's the kind of um, episode you can listen to and it'll, it, it'll jolt your, your brain slightly and make you yeah. generate new ideas, you know? And for me, that was really what happened to me as we were talking uh, to Lindsay that uh, I had lots of ideas and making connect new connections, things I'd never really thought of um, thought of before. And um, I, for me also, what was quite interesting is uh, something we talk about a lot is the, uh, this, uh, that it comes back quite often a bit like a light late motive is the, uh, the, 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 there are no latent needs or that there's that, you know, people know what they want, basically that they, they, they know why they do things. And this kind of really totally reversed this perspective. You talked about this, Jan, also. Um, I think at some point you said something like 95% of human thought is unconscious. Mm. And, yeah, it it did make me think about that, you know. So so, okay, ninety five percent. But is it the part of the thought that uh, generates uh, uh, decisions? Yeah. How does it influence decisions? How important is it? Is it all of decisions? So, yeah, just a, a an opening up of of questions for me in this in this episode. It is funny though. One of the I think just like you said. And use the word fresh. One of the big areas of awareness he brought was how integrated metaphors are into everything we say. We just we we just say them constantly. It becomes part of speech, and then it brings all these questions like, "Was it? A, what's the difference in a metaphor and a cliche?" I mean, I just these sort of things come to mind, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, I think the thing we all sort of found interesting was this idea that they have this sort of universal set of metaphors and yeah. we didn't really get into that, but that's, yeah, that's something I would have loved to, to understand. What are those, what are, what is that set? And even internally in their company, there was some disagreement and I forget the numbers. Some think they're 12, some think they're 16, some think there's 20. I, I, I could, my magnet, yeah. I could be way off. But I, don't I think in the to. book there are seven and then okay, they, so I'm not, he, men he mentioned they extended yeah. the number, I think. So yeah. not too far off, but I think, I think that's great that they continue to have that conversation because we're using the limitations of language, but I guess with a metaphor brings uh, some other meaning behind it, right? Fresh. just like, so, so the one Jonathan just just used by accident, um, yeah. you, you know. So there's food that goes bad. Or, I, mean, I don't I don't want to go down the road of what the, of the metaphor. But we we say them all the time. We don't think about it, but there's some deeper meaning behind it. That's almost like a shortcut in language. It's like this yeah. word. It's funny. We start we started out talking about how when you words translate from one language to another, there's often something lost. If you try to explain a metaphor, it's like explaining a joke. It's like explain a joke. It's also not very funny anymore. Something something also is lost, yeah. and you know, if if you're a job, if you're a hardcore jobs be done person, which I suppose I am, you know, you might think that I would take some big issue with the with his statement that you know people don't know what they want and whatnot. But to me, I look at it as one of the the things that just not understood really is really how the brain thinks, how it makes decisions. And what's going on in there? 
So I, I look at that challenge not as a threat, but as a, hey, what's what's behind that? Yeah. What's going mm-hmm. on? You know, and I in my personal development, the things I personally want to understand better. And I've got a position on things like that for work for product development for projects, but you know, I'm not satisfied. I feel like that's yeah. something that could be understood a lot more. And and this idea of metaphors is probably maybe cha- maybe is the biggest challenge to our jobs and thinking, if you will. Now, I think if yeah. we got into it, I don't think it it doesn't threaten it, but I think yeah. I, I think it's worth diving into and um it could really yeah. help to to better and, understand because what you want to do you want to solve a problem in a meaningful way so that when they go to buy a product they say hey that solves my problem that's sort of that's sort of where you yeah. want to get to um i'm making a decision a conscious decision to buy this thing because this thing makes my life better by solving this problem and so when they get to that you want to be able to predict what they're going to do what are all the mechanisms they do and their awareness of the problem and at what levels and and how well can they connect the problem to this solution that you're offering? So I feel like there's a lot to still to be understood. And I absolutely yeah. welcome this idea of metaphors as as a way to challenge my own thinking and, and, and to yeah. improve on it. I like how you how you phrased it. I, I feel exactly the same way. I have a so for me, my my suspicion is I think. Um, there is a well, I so I sort of don't really buy into the discussion about emotional jobs. I, we don't have to get into that discussion now. There is a risk that we're going to do this anyway, but I so yeah. I think there is there is a little bit of a that's a bit vague or mushy at least in, in, in the jobs we done space. And I feel like something like that, what they're doing in there is it's it's at least there is much it there's much more clarity to that to that whole space. So I think uh, the same as you. So I, I believe if I mean. I'm always on the lookout of what are what are meaningful ways to enrich a jobs to be done perspective. I mean, we know jobs to be done is one of the tools that are out there, and it's just one of the tools. It does a great job at innovation and at understanding and, and measuring on that needs, but it does other things maybe not so well. So where where can you find the kind of find meaningful connections so it enriches your whole approach? I mean, that's what we want to get to is exactly what you said, so that people buy and get products that are actually useful and that and they and that they make the decision quicker and and so i i feel like it could be a very inspiring exchange kind of that we need to need to need to develop and and by the way so this is the thought i should have asked him at the start or at the beginning or somewhere at least in in the whole thing i mean jobs to be done the expression people use a product to get a job done is a metaphor yeah, it is a metaphor. That's right. I mean, that's right. it's 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 one way of speaking, or or it gets the job done, or some. So that's a metaphor, and I would have wanted to know what deep metaphor, like what what does this say about us talking about products and in in those in the metaphor of jobs to be done? What people hire a product and fire a product? That's metaphorical speech. So to what deep yes. metaphor is that related? And I I I don't I don't really know. So yeah. Yet I'm going to shoot him an email, maybe or something. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good point. Well, you know these all these inter- all these sessions they're like a good qualitative interview. They answer a lot of questions, and then they leave you with questions that you didn't even have when you started. Yeah, <laughs> right. You get a bunch of new questions, and yeah. and so with that, you know how my own personal journey into innovation really 
began when I took a course a long time ago. It's called Creative Problem Solving by Men Bassador. And I was an engineer at the time. I was a manufacturing engineer. Manufacturing engineer is a fantastic job. Um, but but men had men's creative problem solving system. It was it began. It was the first place I'd ever been exposed to the rules of brainstorming. You know, restri- you know, reserve judgment for a season. All ideas are good ideas, and we're going to diverge. But then after a while, we're going to converge, and we're going to apply judgment. We're going to select the best ideas, and in between, then he had there's even a converging. I'm sorry, uh, diverging and converging. What criteria should we use to select the best ideas? And really, that's the bolt, that's the foundation of any innovation process. Yeah. You know, the, the double diamond that we, we hear yeah. is looks like a double diamond, or it's really a, it's a double diamond because at least it's, you have one diamond where you have every each time you diverge and converge, you add a you add another diamond, so you could you could have multiple diamonds, but. When when I learned these things, it was like a part of my brain woke up that I like I didn't even know it was there. I'd never heard anything like this. I'd never seen anything like some kind of uh, methodical process for solving problems. And the front end of, I mean, it was interesting throughout. I mean, I'm describing, but the front end of it might even be the most interesting in which you what problem, what even problem area should we solve, mm-hmm. and Back in Jobs Be Done, you know, we'll get in this conversation of how how high a project, you know, how big of a project, you know, with, you know, do we want to study the job of being at peace or do we want to study the job of mowing the lawn or do we want to study the job of repair your lawnmower? Those are all jobs, but they're not. But which one makes the most sense for us as a innovation team, as a company? Which one are we going to make most, most sense for us to address? And men had a had had a a, a a tool, I guess you call it a tool called why what's stopping. And which is say I want to I want to mow the yard. So to get to a broader problem, you ask the question, why do you want to mow the yard? And you go to a level higher, I want to make my yard more beautiful. And then what's stopping you from mowing the yard? And you get all these root causes of, of challenges mm-hmm. mowing the yard. And so it was it was a great thrill to me for us to have men ambassador on the podcast. And really, the the podcast, in a lot of ways, you know, I've said this, it's an excuse to reach out and <laughs> connect with people and, yeah. and keep those connections, but then have these gr- deeper conversations uh, that you'd like to have. And men has just offered has so much has has offered so much. And I've learned so much. He sort of, you know, got me kick started on this on this career that I have, whatever it is. Um. But, you know, just a couple of tangible, real tangible things out of our, our conversation with him. First of all, he's just this amazing to talk to. He he has yeah. a distinction of being our Absolutely. most seasoned, most seasoned guest, but he's just amazing to speak with. Um, the 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 re, the um, the importance of getting to a simple language, like can oh. we can we strip the jargon out of it? Can we strip the technical language uh, out of out of when we're trying to understand a customer problem, you know, can now, you know, to what degree uh, can we do that? Um, but anyway, I just, it was a great thrill to me personally to reconnect with men. Um, and I still on my shelf, actually, I can see in my video there, I still have, I do still have those binders from when <laughs> I took his course. I, Jan, Jan and Jonathan, great. you guys are, you guys yeah. are a lot younger than me. I don't even want to tell you how long ago I took the course, 
but I still have them up there and I still refer to them. I'll be like, well, how does that why would stopping work? And I'll pull it and I'll, I'll thumb through my little work workbook. And, um, you know, it's when you, for me, uh, somebody like that, you're just, I'm just very appreciative, uh, yeah. for, for what I, but what, what I learned from him, but it was a great conversation in that we were able to, uh, discuss his origin story, which was also started at PNG, which is kind of fun. Uh, how he helped create a lot of their innovation processes. I don't know, Jan. It could be a lot of some of the stuff he created are things that were taught to Biot. Uh, Somehow some, it diffused over, later. probably. Yeah. Everything <laughs> we're all me. we're only like three degrees apart, so uh, that's that probably is true. Actually, if we were to take the time to, to, it, to it's not that now that we're talking about it. By the way, I, we had one of one of a very good clients that we have here in in in, in Switzerland. He. Change, the guy completely changed industries and before he was in PNG and then he kind of stumbled across us and he said, I need to talk to those guys. So probably there's something in the PNG training kind of way that just naturally connects. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. I, I mean, so, I mean, Min was one, it's such a, I mean, it's lovely to talk to. I mean, he's a, such a great storyteller. He has he a wealth of experience and I think he's, Yes, one most one of the most senior, but it also felt like one of the most busy people yeah. that we had. Yeah. Kind of always working on different. Yeah, I got two projects. books writing or so. so yeah. super busy, like all of that energy still. So it was it was it just an absolute pleasure to talk to. And I think his approach is just. I mean, it's that's the that's the steps you need to do. That's how you need to work. So it it was extremely enjoyable. Yeah, great storyteller. I was, uh, I, I also, to to an extent that we were we were a bit worried at first. I think when we started because he just he, he just started telling all these stories, <laughs> and we we actually didn't even have to ask that many questions. He just he he just uh, started uh, telling his stories, which was um, pretty great. And and he also was kind enough to send us a link prior to the uh, right. That's to right. the episode, which uh, is his, uh, um, so it's it's he's developed this. They they've developed this this test, um, uh, which is uh, the test is called Scatterbrains, or is that the book? I think that's the, the book. That's the book. That's, that's the, book. the book. So the the test, I forget I think the it's name. Innovation types, like like innovation, 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 profiler. Innovation, innovation types, innovation profiler. Yeah, innovation yeah. profiler. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, you can find it on his uh, a link to it on his uh, on on his website, um, and it was it, it was quite an interesting um, experience also for us. We each, we all did the test and uh, and and got some results, which I think were pretty close to what we kind of expected. Yeah. Uh, is is my is my understanding. Um, what I was really impressed, I mean, I, I was really impressed also by the, the, uh, yes, he was, the, I think the most senior guest we had, but extremely youthful in his curiosity and, and still yeah. really having so many projects and just someone who's also been there from, for such a long time. He, he's, he's seen all the evolutions. I saw also a great interview uh, paper interview that I had uh, 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 read also prior to our interview with him with uh, Van Patter, who's a designer, and um, he 
he's just you know talking with these with these guys who are in the field who are who are top-notch guys and and you know just killing it and uh yeah it was a great yeah. uh, pleasure and honor to to have him on the on the show yeah absolutely and this i mean this this avoidance of jargon i think that is ah. Oh. If only that would be more widespread. <laughs> I mean, that's where I feel like I connected most on a on a philosophical level. I think that's that's, I mean, that's the. There's two kinds of philosophers: those who use those weird words that nobody understands, and I dislike that a lot, and those who really try to say what they mean or something like that and express it in clarity. And and I think Min is one of those kind of in that camp. I just want to. What do you mean? Yeah, you can hide behind jargon. For years, to be honest, without really saying something, and 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 then that fight is that's exactly the right fight. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So, and um, so next uh, next guest we wanted to um, talk about is uh, Jerry McGovern. Jerry McGovern. We had that is something we. Either we need to kind of uh, continue with that or we need to correct it next year. We have a kind of a, an Irish overhead. There is a lot of Irish, <laughs> seems to be right. like a topic I as well. I think we need more. Well, maybe we need more. Yeah, probably we need more. So so uh, uh, Jerry McGovern, he he invented Top Tasks, um, which uh, is a great um, uh, approach um, to prioritize, basically. So he's coming, he's, the, the, where he's coming from is information, information structure. So how do you structure information in a way so that it best serves the people that need, need that information and need to work with that information? And that's an approach he, he then developed to answer that question. So this top tasks method is one that, that, that he created. And there is a book, Top Tasks, uh, How To, where he really explains in detail how 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 you actually can do this and he's worked with many different organizations including the who the irish government as well and some other and some other uh, um, big kind of names out there to structure information but he also of course could use it to to for for innovation i think um and and and, and it, there is there is a deep connection between the top tasks and the jobs to be done approach i think it's it because it's really about he makes a beautiful distinction between big big and top tasks and tiny tasks like Tasks that are really important and tasks that are less important. And and he has developed a way of prioritizing these and then again, structuring your website, for example, or whatever it is. Uh, so it suits the information needs best. And one of the things that stuck with me the most is how that prioritization approach or how, figuring out what are the top tasks and then really putting, putting that at the top of our focus is how how that all connects to to battling waste, and I think that is something we do in innovation as well. So there's a lot of waste that is produced in different areas. By the way, in our whole life, so be it in the environmental sense or food waste or whatever, in the data space. So that was where he kind of very much put the focus on that we produce so much data that in the end we don't use. But in a sense, you could also say that, for example, flops or just products that are never going to be used or ideas that are just going to be shelved uh in the same sense there is also kind of is is, is producing waste and it, and 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 the reason behind that is is a lack of prioritization we don't know what the priorities are from the customer perspective so we generate a hundred different ideas 
or maybe even a thousand. And I really like this topic that that is kind of was in the whole speech from the beginning on, where he emphasized a lot the environmental aspect that he cares about. I think one of one of his last words was that all he's trying to do is being a good ancestor. So <laughs> I like that a lot. This idea of I have I have a responsibility to whoever comes next, and and this getting cutting through the noise getting rid of everything that it's not important and daring to make that decision and, and creating the fact base to, to be able to make that decision. This is important. That is not important. That was what I really, really, really liked about the talk task approach and, and, and why I, why I wanted him on the podcast. So, yeah. Yeah. Certainly it seems to be a lot of similarities in with other methods of prioritizing and whatnot, but again, I, it's nice to see a different technique and to see what's similar, what's different. Um, and I feel like it's almost it's almost like a series of qualitative interviews, you know, what's similar between the ones you just did. Oh, those things that are similar that there must be something pretty thematic there. Yeah. That's um, sort of like a rule or a law and things that are different. Oh, is that arbitrary? Is that just is it just terminology or yeah. is, is something is something actually better than another? Or is it just like, it's, well, there's different contexts are being used. It just. uh I don't feel like we learn a lot by just patting ourselves on the back all the time that how great our process is. I think we learn it's 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 what's nice about his top task is just different enough that it's sort of nice to sort of challenge some of the ways we do things. Yeah. Yeah. But in a, on a personal level, also, he's fantastic. Again, I'm for all, you know, I'm for more Irish guests for sure. He was he was fantastic on a personal level. And it's pretty cool that, you know, here, I mean, he's, he's pretty much retired at this point, but he's taken up some environmental causes uh, to be, as you said, John, I'd forgotten that to be a good ancestor. That is a nice quote. Yeah. Yeah. He has extremely strong uh, values and he is, uh, yeah. he's very committed to, to these, uh, to these values. And I have a tremendous respect for that. And what I found interesting was, and you touched upon this, Jan, is this, there is a thread between all his different writings, um, even though on the surface they appear to be talking about quite different things. So I think his more most recent writing is more about uh, ecology and uh, yeah. uh, so worldwide waste and how... What a great wasting. title. Yeah, it's a great, great title, <laughs> Worldwide Waste. Um, about how basically we're uh, we're wasting energy by uh, well in different ways on the web storing all sorts of data that we don't need etc. And there's there's actually a thread between the 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 waste that there is uh, in wasting people's time, wasting you know just the the lack of efficiency of a badly organized website and the waste the real, let's say, concrete waste of waste of energy. And, and it's a thread that goes through all of his uh, his writing. And another just small anecdote, which I thought was quite funny, there's a, a very kind of high profile, which I hope one day we might get on the show. That would be great. A high profile critic of uh, Jobs To Be Done, Jared Spool. And he, uh, he actually recommends to read Top Tasks. So mm. he recommends oh. this book, which I ah. feel has many parallels with job to, Jobs to be Done, actually. You know, usually when things appear to be greatly different, it's I found it's usually terminology. Usually somebody's using this word or that word. And that and and 
even some of the conflicts amongst jobs we've done practitioners that they're using words differently. I use the word job executor. Somebody else uses something else. And so when you, it doesn't take, so maybe back to men's sort of principles of getting to what the yeah. simplicity of words, but yeah, you know, I don't know. Getting lost in semantics. Lost, I mean. lost in, we get lost in translation. We get lost in, in semantics. Yeah. yeah. So the next uh, guest we wanted to talk about is uh, Giorgio Pauletto. And Giorgio Pauletto is uh, head of innovation in a big uh, uh, public service uh, company. So uh, servicing the canton of Geneva in Switzerland with uh, electricity, uh, clean water, um, and uh, telecommunication, different kind of uh, public services. And, and I wanted to have him on the show in a for a similar reason that we invited Murat Gurkar and Francesco Cardoletti because this is someone who's really in the field who's someone who's got a tremendous amount amount of uh, of experience and um who uh, uh who's actually working in a in a big company and so there was two two aspects, which was how do you, do you foster innovation in a large company? And secondly, an interest of uh, Giorgio's is uh, future studies or trying to analyze trends to, to see what is going to happen uh, in the future so you can plan your uh, strategy. And the um, so I think we can some that those uh, what i took out of it is um he really emphasized and i thought that was very interesting because again something that seems very simple in retrospect but not something i would have necessarily uh put up there but now i find it's actually very uh important and i think even i recall um elon musk talking about something similar which is the importance of attention so he, he emphasized on this quite a bit, on, on how important it is to uh, focus on your everyday, just to be attentive to what's going on around you. And, and he uh, talked about the uh, concept of Vujeda, which is uh, ah. an inversion of déjà vu, which the, and the idea is that you take something that you've seen a lot of times, that you've seen many times before, and you try and look at it as an outsider, with uh, you look at it afresh, as uh, as if it was something new, and um, I think in terms of this um, this uh, the, the analyzing future trends. So there was, you know, uh, being attentive. There's looking at the fringes, looking at the. So we talked a bit about that in the episode, also how the importance of fringes, um, fringes in terms of users. And also in terms of trends, what kind of, of trends? So um, uh, fringe users, fringe trends. Uh, and we also talked about different techniques for, um, well, you can't predict the future, of course, but for, for kind of uh, um, making models of what could be. Um, I, there were a few quotes. I had fun on this one, finding some quotes from uh, the Foundation Trilogy. 
which I'm not going to bore you with now, but uh, I, I, <laughs> I quite enjoyed uh, one famous quote, which uh, is maybe or maybe not by uh, uh, William Gibson, which is the future is already here. It's just not uniformly distributed. And, and this was a quote by our guest, which I quite liked. Uh, I would have liked to explore maybe a bit further some... Uh, I think there's an interesting theme that maybe we could have touched upon a bit more, which is uh, when we're talking about design and innovation, we, I mean, we all know the importance of gathering needs and understanding our customers' needs, etc. And the future in many of these frameworks doesn't feature in that at all. So we don't talk about, we don't, none of this kind of future studies is incorporated in our innovation. I would have liked to understand how we can incorporate this better. So what is it, what are we doing when we, we're studying the future? Are we looking at future needs? What is it exactly we're doing and how can we uh, bring these two things together? I think that maybe uh, we could have explored a bit more with our guest. Yeah, I, I was I was certain, I think yesterday or something, I, I, I was certain somebody brought up the, the concept of Vujeda but I couldn't. I couldn't tell. I, I wasn't sure who it was, and I think that's a really a great, a great thing. So seeing the, what what's it again? So seeing what's familiar with with a new eye or something. That's yeah. So we we talked about in this episode this this idea of uh, uh, some some something you do every day, like paying for a a, a car parking yeah. or some something kind of random like this, yeah. and. Just looking at all, being very attentive at everything that's going on. Okay, so you need to take your money out, you know, put the card in, whatever the process is, and just really being conscious of what you're doing. And and this as a source of inspiration for uh, yeah, for right. for yeah. new ideas for where you could make things better. And I I do recall uh, Elon Musk talking about something in similar terms, which you know. Yeah, it's worth what it's worth, but I mean, it's a big name, so I'll throw it out there. <laughs> it's just nice to know you've got innovation in government, you know, where, oh, yeah, I mean, let's face it, that's, that's where customers don't have a lot of choices. You can't choose, oh, I think I'm going to buy my electricity from this place today. <clears throat> and so yeah. that's, um, it's good to know that there is some, the governments are having some focus on innovation and hopefully improving the lives of their citizens because again they don't have a lot of choices but maybe that's they probably do a better job of that in switzerland than they do here <laughs> the, the, the challenge we had on this episode was that there were quite a few different interesting angles and i think yeah. what is interesting about innovation in government is uh, precisely that you have uh different stakeholders to the ones you might have as a private company so and he actually i mean we discussed this in the episode that you know there's there's not just the users and not just the 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 yeah. typical stakeholders but for example the environment and other other stakeholders that are not necessarily yeah. taken into account and i feel like he was a great he was a great guy also very conscious about how do you diffuse innovation within the organization? Like, how can you bring them along? How can you affect change? So I think, I mean, especially in, in, in like those heavy energy infrastructure, governmental organizations, they tend, I mean, they thinking in 30, 40, 50 kind of years of 
uh, I mean, that's their cycle, right? You, once you put in the, the gas things in, so to transport gas to to the houses, they're in there for forty years. So it's they're huge, huge timelines. And 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 I thought it was really, really sensible and, and really thoughtful how how he managed to bring the whole company along with with the new approach and we're trying different things. And I think he he mentioned something along the lines of, yeah, it took me now two and a half years just get a couple of words in that now the company uses so changing a tiny bit of, of language change, changing a tiny yeah. bit of how we co-work so so i really liked how how, how his approach of yeah. how you take the company along kind of kind of thing yeah the importance of creating a shared language which yeah, exactly. is also a common theme uh, which we also i think jim kalbach and in, in his way yeah. also touches upon yeah yeah all right um there was uh, again irish there's they're all over the, or was it no he was irish so tim MacArthur. So. Yeah, yeah i yeah. think so so a service designer and um so nothing against irish people by the way so i'm so sorry why i'm bringing this up but he was he was a very experienced service designer he co-founded the service design network um for ireland um, there's a couple of uh, other of those networks that are out there, and I think I'm really recommending uh, that you check those out. So these are all service designers coming from very different places. Tim works at a larger um, organization as well, bringing in service design. And me and him, we kind of got in, 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 into discussions because he showed an interest in jobs development, but also had some reservations because he was had more, I think... Um, I think he had a great appreciation of it, but also he had this much more systematic perspective. Like, how can we change? He wouldn't ask, for example, how can we, um, I don't know, innovate a certain service that the doctor provides, but how can we reconfigure the healthcare system? Which is a huge question, but I think it's the right one, um, given the, ca- the kind of healthcare systems that we need to live in. Scott, you know this inside out now. And I think there is, uh, be it Switzerland, be it, be it, be it, the US, I think they are they're broken anyway. So I was really intrigued by the systems perspective, um, by the perspective of how can we, how can, how does also the system itself kind of affect the things that we try to do on a more granular level? And that was a really interesting discussion for me because I'm I'm not in those discussions. I even tend to almost, almost uh, consciously ignore these kind of things and just accept the system as such as a given. And that's my space where I can operate. And, and, and so what can I do in, 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 in that kind of space? So I really liked how, how I think he came from a very concrete service design perspective and, and it kind of got bigger, the questions got bigger and bigger and, and, and he started to put different methods together to address those more system level questions. And that is certainly something I, I took along, um, which... Yeah, as I, as I said before, I tend to even maybe to my own detriment ignored or to, to a certain extent, at least in my project work, because I, I didn't have the feeling that, that you can influence that, that those that much. So, so I tend to ignore those, but maybe that's, that's not something we should do. Yeah, so obviously, I mean, I, I really love the, when we got to talk about um, uh, a topic which I'm quite fond of, which is... Uh, systems thinking, uh, cybernetics, this kind of stuff. And I think, uh, so we had a bit of a discussion around that. Uh, there's, um, I mean, this idea that you can, uh, a mantra we hear a lot in, uh, let's say, systemic design um, spaces 
is the idea of dissolving problems, which I, I ah, think was yeah. rather than solving, you dissolve problems. And uh, so instead of, for example, I mean, one typical uh, example would be um, when people had horses to come back to the Ford uh, example, people had horses and a lot of uh, horse manure uh, on the streets and people might try to solve the problem of horse manure by, um, you know, I don't know, different uh, adding some so, some kind of extension to the horse or whatever to gather it. Um, uh, but it, it, you can dissolve this problem in different ways. Well, you can maybe, well, obviously, if you have cars, then that is no longer a problem you need to solve the question of manure. You have other problems coming up, but it, the manure is no longer a question. And uh, you can also solve it by changing mindsets and having people walk more or something. So this is idea of uh, uh, finding leverage points in a, in a system and, and, and dissolving the problem in, in this way. That reminds um, me a lot of Sergey. Sir, and we'll talk about him later a bit, but I think he, that was a, that's a very engineering kind of approach to problems some, some I think yeah yep all right so certainly one of our uh, more charismatic guests was Mr. Joe Mr. I Joe mean, was so fun oh man it's easy to see how he could captivate an audience he, is, he was just full of personality um but um what the quote he had was that, um, and again, we're not, I, I, I keep saying we're not a jobs we've done themed podcast. I don't know. Maybe we're in denial. There's, maybe we actually are. Yeah. <laughs> we were trying to be, when we set this up, I mean, right off the bat, it was like one of our first, I don't know if it's yeah. rules, sort of a guiding principle is we're going to be agnostic. We're going to be, but I don't know, our own interests just to keep you can't deny out. it. We'll do a better job being agnostic next year. I think but, it's also our network, right? I mean, we, we yeah, for sure. But did jobs? you notice how he framed it? We'll do a better job of being agnostic. That's already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've, got, we've lost already. That's right. <laughs> well, the the like my one of my first bosses, he was I won't I won't give his name. It was a long time ago, but he was really overweight. And he would fall asleep while you were talking to him. And he would say, and I was like my first job. And he would say, I mean he was huge, overweight. He would say, you know, Scott. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> Except the way I said that, he said it much slower than that. Oh, yeah. I just don't have the patience to say it quite <laughs> as slow. And it's like, so anyway, we're going to have some good intentions and we'll we'll still end up yeah. in a good place next year. But the the big thing I got away from, or I got from Mr. Joe is, um, well, as I was listening to him talk, I think the thing I enjoy yeah. and the thing I learned, they're a little bit different. The thing, we'll start with what I learned, you know, how he really used jobs he done to frame up challenges, um, to create a common language for product development, something that flows all the way through marketing and launch and even all the way through sales. And his quote was, jobs be done can be a unifying force across the business. But, yeah. but, you know, so, but what I feel like I got out of that was something much more important and much in that, you know, it's one thing to know, forget jobs we've done or what process, Six Sigma or design thinking, whatever thing you're trying to communicate through the business. It's like, it's not enough just to have, just to sort of know what the process is. I mean, 
it's you got to he's had so much enthusiasm and he brought yeah. so much energy it's like if i was bringing him in to give a i would i would bring him into my company in a second to talk to our executives to talk to anybody um to help to help communicate the importance of this and i'm just like so really on a personal level that's the thing i really took from mr joe is wow that's something i can really adopt that enthusiasm and the other thing other thing is that you know it was clear that he's not going to hesitate to talk to people at any level of management any level of leadership he's there's zero intimidation there you know he's going to yeah. go straight to the top and he's going to be quite direct with them and um so so there's sort of the information i learned which I guess those are more or less things I probably already knew. So the, so the thing I personally took away is really is that enthusiasm and sort of aggressiveness, but not aggressiveness in a bad way. Aggressiveness in a enthusiasm is probably a better, better yeah. word. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's funny is that he's a, I, I, he's a complex person because at the same time, I someone who is, who is very, um, courageous enough to to show also his vulnerable side uh, yes he, he he shared a lot of his doubts he shared yeah uh he shared um about you know imposter syndrome this yeah. kind of this kind of stuff and i i can i can see how he he gains trust with uh with yeah. people uh, because um i think the point was not it's not really about becoming you know a superman or something like this but it's about how do you manage yourself? How do you become a, a better person? How do you go beyond your fears? And the, he brings a level of energy and you see that you see he's constantly, I think even in himself managing um, these, you know, maybe a negative force and a positive force. And, and so uh, you can see it working out and it's, it's quite a, a high energy interview. He's high energy and, yeah, I really enjoyed talking to him, and I, I definitely yeah. think he's uh, he'd be a great coach for for any leader. I, th I really think so too. I mean, he is really this this very human element kind of, uh, I mean, human fascination also in a sense that he brought to it. I think for me, I, there was one point as well where we talked about the mind the the, the mindset of abundance. Exactly. I think that that uh, that was something that also stuck with me for quite some time. So like, and how that kind of connects to jobs to be done. So in a sense. That I think he brought this example of of of, of iPhone versus versus um, oh my god, what's the other one called? Well, the Samsung? Android, Android, an Android, Android phone or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so where where kind of if you have the focus on well, I'm gonna try to improve myself, and we're gonna try our gonna try to improve our products, and we're gonna try to make kind of products that fit our the needs of our customers better. Competition is in a sense, of course, always in brackets, but in a sense is irrelevant. That's now where, and whatever they do and whatever products they put up, yes, nice, fine. But that's not what I care about. What I care, I believe in my kind of product. There is enough market for everybody. And my focus is somewhere completely else. And I'm not worried if, if competition launches a new product because I know I'm doing the right thing. And that, I mean, if you can kind of install and instill that kind of confidence in 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 an organization or even in just i'm i'm imagine imagine having a company with with a c-level with that kind of confidence and how that must trickle down that force that confidence that you just have in your your own approach so that i like i liked a lot yeah 
And I just want to reiterate what John said about vulnerability, uh, too. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to be up on stage and sort of have the facade. That, but he has to bring so much confidence to be like, you know, I'm just sort of the man here, blah, 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 excited. Yeah. But, but he was very real with us. Yeah. And, um, it just seems like that's part of his secret. That's part of his, it's part of what makes him compelling is he's just sort of honest and transparent. Yeah. It's an interesting, th- interesting person. Yeah. I think he was, maybe it's on the past podcast even, I don't know, but he was kind of the first that, well, look uh, what's going to happen probably in 20 minutes or so. It's very likely to happen that my daughter's going to open up the door. She's going to come here. We're going to talk a little right. bit, and then we'll. And it was just there was no, and, and there is no issue there. There is no problem there. And I mean, yeah, all the worries we went through when we started using more of these video tools was, oh my god, somebody's going to walk in. And he completely with with it, it was just completely natural. And, and if she would have walked in and kind of just then it would be completely fine. Yeah. So an extreme this yeah kind of serenity or right? I don't know yeah. It's really enjoyable. So thanks, Mr. Joe. It was it was fantastic. <laughs> so the the next guests we are going to talk about is again a duo, Ian Kerr and Jason Frasca. And man, I I I love those guys. I mean, I think if you talk, if you want mind expansion and you know something similar to uh, to uh, Lindsay Zoltman, that'll jolt your thinking, jolt your brain, rewire your brain. Well, I can't recommend this episode enough. And generally, their writing, they have a, a great blog under emergentfutureslab.com. You can find them on LinkedIn. Um, I mean, the, the message... I mean, they, they have so many interesting ideas. It's uh, it's 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 very deep. It's 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 uh, deep thinking. Um, a lot of uh, super well read. We veer nearly into the philosophical, but to come out on the other side also with some extremely practical advice. If it if there's if there are some folks we talked to that really stretched our way of thinking, I don't think anybody stretched it more than these two guys did. Just with this idea of there's almost, I'm sure I'm going to have this all wrong, but essentially there's almost, there's no new thoughts or where do new things come from? It's like everything is built on something else. And man, they go really deep into this. I mean, things, they ask questions. I haven't, I haven't think to ask questions of the questions. I mean, it's just, it's, I honestly have a hard time understanding it. It's something I really, but I've been reading their writings on LinkedIn a lot lately, and they, they almost read like poems, like poetry. <laughs> so these, these two, um, there's, there is something there and they're thinking that it's just, it's so, it's so outside of my normal way of thinking. I mean, my normal way is just, you know, what's the problem? What's come up with solution? What's, what's been done? They sort of really start at a. They're start. They're they're starting at a different place, and their thinking process it goes a different yeah. way, and so that's one that I should probably listen to more myself. But I definitely I found my my ways of looking at the world stretched more in this conversation than, than probably any other one. Yeah, I mean, I think Ian is the guy, right? He's a kind of a fellow fellow philosopher, if you so if you so want. That's right. And, right. So so that's and 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 I mean. I I I I think I know. I mean, there's 
many different things that they coupled together in their in their approach. Uh, but but one strong thinker is is behind everything, and you can hear that in the words that they use is is Gilles Deleuze. I mean, and that's I mean, if there is any kind of thinker that is really different from a lot of what the world has seen in the past two and a half thousand years, it's it it's that guy. So so it's not surprising, Scott, that you say that this is. There's coming from somewhere that's completely different because that's really, I mean, that's a. If you really want to get confused, pick up a book by Gilles Deleuze. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's super interesting, but it's a very different world, and and it takes some time. It, it depends what, on the book, but but. What I what I love about these guys is that uh, they they bring up some themes that have come up quite a lot. Also, you hear quite a lot in the innovation and design space, uh, such as embodied. Uh, embodied cognition, this kind of, uh, these kinds of topics, um, anti-representationalism, yeah. so going against models in the head and, and all this. Um, and and I, I often feel somewhat confused when I uh, read or listen to people talking about this, but these guys are so precise, I find in their writing that it, to me, it makes sense. And I think this idea that the new cannot be conceptualized is, is, is just really such a, it, it, yeah, it kind of gets you at some point. You kind of think about it. You say, yeah, there's something to this. And um, they have this quote at some point in the podcast. They say, uh, uh, which, which is surprising to us as jobs to be done people, because they actually clearly say uh, defining needs and wants comes after the disruptive innovation. Yeah. For them, yeah. the, the, the disruption happens should, if you really want to do radical innovation. It, it happens before the process that we would typically start to do in a jobs to be done uh, project. One thing I, I would have liked to explore a bit more with them, we kind of touched upon it a bit in the, in the show, but I think we could talk about that more is the framing of the problem. It's how do you actually frame what it is you're going to do as an innovator or designer? because they, they have a lot of techniques, but a, a lot of it is based on, on this non-conceptualization. But at some point, a framing implies yeah. a conceptualization of some sort. And, and I would have liked to explore that a bit more with them. We did talk about it, but I mean, uh, all in all, this is yeah, mind-expanding stuff and really can recommend it. All right, let's transition to Sergei Akovenko. Sergei is a trees master. I mean, trees, T-R-I-Z, which it's interesting. Trees is a it's a problem-solving method developed by um by Heinrich Altschuler. Uh and it's a very interesting story of how it was developed. We went into that story bit in the discussion. Um but it was really, you know, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was something that was talked about a lot in new product development as a as this really sophisticated means to solve problems. And I won't say it's fallen out of favor. I just don't hear about it that much anymore. Yeah. It's just maybe the circles I'm in. You just it used to be uh, referred to a lot, and um, it was used a lot like in automotive and um, uh, people that make um, mechanical things. You know, how do you solve mechanical problems? I mean, I don't know that that's exactly where it was, but that's just the pl people I heard talking about it were usually in automotive or at least uh, saw, trying to solve mechanical problems. And I'm not going to pretend to be a trees expert, but I can I can tell you it's very interesting reading uh, a couple a couple of things. 
just for example, just one quick example, and I'll probably have this wrong, but one of uh, my trees is sort of like this, it's sort of this set of all these various tools. Maybe that's part of why it's hard to adopt. It's not like a process, step one, step two, step three. Maybe there's some innovation to, to help with that. But one of the one of the things it tracks is this sort of evolution of technologies. And uh, so where uh, something might initially be um, right. might initially be like just rigid, and then it goes from rigid to jointed, it goes from jointed to multi-jointed, it goes from multi-jointed to flexible, it goes from flexible to like liquid into a gas, into a magnet electromagnetic field. And um, so one of the examples to illustrate that is uh, with weapons. So whatever, 10,000 years ago, I'm, or longer than my weapon is my hand, I hit you with my hand, and then I get a rigid spear, and then... Um, I may have to power the spear. It becomes a bow and arrow and, you know, fast forward and we're, dro we're dropping yeah. bombs. So, <laughs> uh, or then there's electromagnetic pulses, but it's, but that's just how different technologies improve over time. Uh, but the, the biggest thing probably it's known for is the contradiction matrix. How can something be strong and light or whatever, but and that's Triz. But the, it was just as interesting to listen to Sergey because Sergey was trained by Altschuler himself, yeah. uh, who was a Russian. Altschuler was this Russian science fiction writer who got a job in the patent office and started noticing all these um, patterns of innovation. And so he developed his method. And, and, and Sergey, uh, Altschuler was Sergey's Triz teacher. And so, you know, so the best Triz experts in the world tend to be, tend to be Russians. Everyone I've ever, uh, almost every practitioner I've ever met, maybe except for one was Russian, but Sergey was, you know, his lineage from the person that invented it is, is one-to-one. -one. He learned directly from him. And um, one of the more interesting things about that episode that I'd encourage you to listen is uh, we talk about Altschuler itself who as a science fiction writer who didn't like the way things are going with the government thought it was a good idea to write Stalin letters uh, criticizing his approach. And he ended up, ended up he sent him to, to prison for that. Um, but in that episode, you'll, you'll know, we'll, we'll cover a couple things. Well, uh, Sergey will, will take us back into the history. I think I was asking about it. I was curious about it, yeah. about how Triz was developed with Altschuler, et cetera. And then we'll go into a little bit about the method and some of the tools, but but then the undercurrent for me also that's there's another metaphor in it. Uh, as you go through, is just listening to somebody teach about Triz who learned from this master who created it. Uh, to me, that sort of almost feels like you know this has some historical. We're talking to somebody of some historical significance, at least for at least if you're interested in innovation anyway. Yeah. So that was. That was on a personal level, but I, I I enjoyed as well. Yeah, he's a very very likable guy as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the stories that he that he that he brings, be it that short kind of um well letter thing with Stalin is a brilliant story. <laughs> yeah, but also I mean trees is this. I found it's it's a very this interesting mix between. It has that level of abstraction, so I think it kind of is. I'm not again. I'm I'm also not a, not an expert on this, but I think it has these kind of like thirty or forty rules to apply if you're getting stuck. Like uh, 
change the aggregate state or or what if it was uh, what it what, what could you remove so the problem doesn't occur something like the, a set of rules or, or almost like maxims or, or general rules that you can follow and i really liked how they have this it's it's a level of abstraction but you can immediately see how practically the practical use kind of thing so it, it's that i thought was really interesting so these different ways of 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 i i could really see an engineer I mean, I'm not an engineer, but I can I can imagine it well in my mind working on a problem. And then you're getting stuck. You don't know how you how else should I optimize that that part of a machine or how what else can I do? And then you pick up trees, and there is a set of rules, and maybe 33 helps you, and it kind of does the trick. Now I know how to. So I felt it was a really powerful thing, and I agree with you. It, it kind of has fallen. Maybe we just forgot about it. I mean, sometimes it just happens. It it if the people's kind of disappeared and push it then it just it gets forgotten i think it, it, it unrightly so to be honest yeah i think there's a lot to, i think this there's a lot of things just hidden away uh as right? it's sort yeah. of gotten forgotten and i think you know i think there's an opportunity for somebody to sort of become a champion again but it, it probably there's some questions like well, what makes it difficult to communicate i mean one of the things i might suggest is it's it does seem to be sort of like here's a lot of tools as yeah. opposed to a process one two three four or five but you know maybe it needs to be organized in some way but um i think that but the point is the, the fact that it hasn't communicators lost energy should don't don't make any mistake there's a lot yes. of really powerful problem solving uh tools there within yes yeah i mean so the so trees is really um a bag of of conceptual tools yeah to help solve problems yeah. and i think in this episode you really get we we described some of these tools and and you can immediately see how powerful they can be because they can guide your thinking in in solving problems um and what i what i was really happy uh, about in this episode is that we also touch on a kind of new topic uh, a topic we didn't we've not really addressed on other episodes or not as directly at least which is this gap between okay we define the problem and then how once you've got the problem do you actually you know design a, a solution which is the part of course that jobs to be done doesn't address jobs to be done will define a problem and then well it's basically on the designer development team to basically find some kind of uh, solution to, to the problem that's been defined. And <clears throat> Triz is on the solution side. It, it, it yeah. talks about um, how you can, uh, uh, and, and it's very conceptual. It's, it's so, uh, it's obviously appealing to <laughs> people like us probably, I guess. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and um, um, Sergey was, was just such a, a brilliant storyteller and extremely uh, clear uh, explainer of these concepts. So I think you get a really nice overview of some core ideas in this episode. And I, I really enjoyed talking to him. Yeah. For a quick overview, history and overview of trees, you're probably not going to do much better than to grab that episode and check it out. Yeah, for sure. And um, that brings us to our last uh, guest that we're going to review. 
choose one of our most recent episode and i think i will just give a few quotes out before uh, saying who this guest is so <laughs> there is no such thing as latent needs um everyone's trying to come up with solutions to satisfy needs and we can't agree on what a need is so these are some talking points that you've probably heard before and from none other than uh, Tony Olwick, the uh, creator of uh, ODI, Outcome Driven Innovation, and one of the uh, founding fathers of uh, the Jobs to be Done uh, framework. Um, so we, I mean, are just so elated that we could <laughs> get him on our, yeah. on our little show. I mean, it's... Uh, we, very very grateful that he uh, accepted to to come and, and talk to to us um and it it was uh, um i think so the, the many people know what tony's about many people have heard him talk before and what we tried to do in this episode is to go uh, of of course talk about the the core concepts but go beyond these concepts and 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 i think we were able to to get into some interesting spaces with tony um i i as i mentioned on linkedin i find it difficult to it's it's difficult to surprise him it's nearly impossible because he's thought about everything so rigorously he he really you can ask any question he's heard it before a hundred times and to come up with some something interesting to get something new is is a can be a challenge, but I think we we did get into some interesting um, uh, territory um, with Tony. It was obviously much too short. We probably all could have gone on for for a while. Uh, he he, uh, he couldn't do longer, but uh, I, I think there's a lot of stuff we could still explore with him. Um, uh, for me, what was interesting is we really. Uh, I mean, he really emphasized on this confusion, which or or confusion is maybe too strong, but this um, uh, mixing up of uh, the innovation activities, what he calls innovation activities, it's his definitions, and what are development activities. Mm -hmm. And he makes this very clear distinction, which I, I think is not something entirely new, but also something that's uh, it's quite interesting in context of the, the questions that were asked that he, he kind of often came back to that uh, distinction. Yeah. I would have liked to talk a bit more about uh, some of the uh, hot topics of uh, contentious topics of jobs to be done, such as how can we apply, can we apply jobs to be done to art? We talked about this, uh, talking about Ruth, Ruth Hart at the our first guest. Um, I would have also liked to bring in a bit of the 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 new is it unthinkable? So the Kerr and Frasca perspective. Is it possible to do radical innovation using jobs to be done? So all these I all these questions that I've had in my notepads for 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 years now of okay, what 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 are the hard questions of jobs to be done? I, I'd love to have an opportunity to talk to Tony again and, and really dive into these uh, difficult yeah. questions, but really loved it. Really happy and feel proud that we were us three able to, to get Tony. Well, mainly Scott, cause you invited him, but uh, um, it's really, yeah. it was a really nice end to our year. 
I was just going to say, there's a big, big thank you that we need to express to Scott. I think, I don't know what magic you worked, but <laughs> so well, you... <laughs> I've known Tony a long time. He's, yeah. I, Tony's a friend. And when we, when we, when we began our little podcast project, that was what, uh, there's yeah. two things I imagined. I said, this is how, this is how to end the year. Let's have our last interview with, with let's get Tony on at the very end. And then let's have a, this session, let's re, let's have a year in review. Yeah. That was that, that I sort of thought of that from the beginning. I didn't. I, I wanted to wait. I wanted us to earn our stripes a little bit before asking him. You know, so at least we have some. You know, at least some <laughs> measure of some measure of following. So he might imagine it has some benefit to him. But it's funny when we were when I was also I was sort of thinking about when I was sort of creating our discussion guide. One of my one of the things I, I was going to say is as he's coming on for us to go. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> we're not worthy. Uh, yeah, the Wayne's World thing. Uh, he would have thought that was funny, but uh, but yeah, Jonathan, he you're right. He's heard everything. You gotta you just gotta give him the credit. I mean, how many people? How many people are 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 using a jobsy done process that's not largely built on what he's created? I mean, it's it's a ton of people. He's heard. He's he. I remember. I remember the confusion some almost 20 years ago now when i'm i'm taking these voice of customer classes and they're telling me about latent needs they're telling me about unarticulated needs and i'm like i don't know any different i'm just believing what i'm told and then tony there alone saying there's no such thing there's no such thing as a latent need and i'm like what and i'm i'm being told to use this qfd process and he's like hey there's these all these problems with this qfd process it's hey this 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 and this I'm like, and every like everything where everything was confusing before, Tony brought clarity, and yeah. it was like, oh wow, you know this 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 this, and in all of exactly. the criticisms over the years, it's almost like, well, it's made it too clear. It's it can't it can't be that simple. You can't you know it can't be that easy. <laughs> but now I've got some years under my belt of doing the process and and new products, and and now nobody could now nobody. I mean, you might tell me how something can be improved or whatever, but what you can't tell me is that it doesn't work. You can't tell me it's not effective. Yeah. You can't tell me it's not helpful because I've used it. It's like you might as well tell me, you might as well tell me I'm not sitting here and I'm on Mars because it's like I've experienced it. And so with, with Tony, I mean he, he might get tired of hearing me say this, but I can't help myself. I if if you hear me give a presentation, you know, almost I'd say a hundred percent of the time you hear me refer to Tony and express some appreciation. It's like it's 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 all the time, and it's it's because he's earned it, and it's because I just I you know I feel uh, I'm very appreciative, and so I don't waste an opportunity to say that. And certainly, you know, I don't remember everything I said in that conversation, but that certainly will be there. If you read my book, you'll come away from the same yeah. thing. You're not going to come away from that like, wow, Scott created all this stuff. You're like, no, Scott found all this stuff <laughs> and uh, was, you know, and and became a believer, really. And so, yeah, and it was that 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 time went by so quickly. That time yes. went by so quickly. We were supposed to be keeping it to an hour. We still into an hour and a half. And it was like a, it was yeah. I don't I'm not out of all. the. I mean, we, I loved all of them, but that one just felt like it went by the fastest. And I think it was because we just and and to Jonathan's point, we didn't even we almost feel like we just gotten started. <laughs> I almost yeah. felt like I mean, uh there's so much more we could have asked. And Jonathan asked fantastic questions, you know, 
you know, we didn't take it easy on him either. You know, we asked some, Jonathan asked some challenging questions and I thought that's good. And that's as, as it should be. Yeah. And, um, but also, you know, Tony can be really funny. He's a, he's an entertaining person. Uh, you know, he's, he's great. He's great on a stage. He, he referred to, you might remember, we asked him the question that we sometimes end a session with, which is if we were going to do a movie at innovation conference, what movie would it be? And he sort of, deferred on that and he said well i remember you gave a presentation at our user conference that was pretty good we'll do that we'll do yeah. that one well that was awful nice of him to say but um i remember giving that presentation it was at the university of chicago in this little round theater and yeah. i was i was is i was as nervous as i've ever been in my life because i was about to i was absolute newbie in jobs be done i mean i was getting started in it and here i was going to give a presentation to all strategists, folks, and all their clients, and all like these prospects at here at the University of Chicago, and I think, and it did go over well. I think one reason is I was so nervous that just that came up that all of a sudden that just turned into energy. And I remember one of the things I just said is a it's almost a throwaway comment that everybody laughed at. Is I was saying, well, when I get you know when I grow up, I want to be up, I want to stand up on stage and be as cool as Tony is. When he's, he's always, he's always in control. He's always so cool. And yeah, he's heard every question. He's got a, he gives a very thoughtful and detailed answer to any question. And so if you're in this space, if you're in this jobs be done space and things are confusing, wow. How much do you appreciate that clarity and a good answer? And it's not, not sidestepping it in. Um, there's just, you know, we, all of us in this space, you know, owe a lot to him, but also as you, if you listen to that, he's, he's, he's funny. He's, he's very, he's very entertaining in his own right. Very generous with his time, certainly with us. And so that was, you know, yeah. perfect way to cap off, uh, the, our first year, first of many years of our product quest podcast here. No, absolutely. I mean, there, Oh, I, I I almost don't want to say anything. These were like perfect <laughs> words to end. <laughs> oh, okay, so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna just say it once. I mean, we're so used. I mean, we're I mean, okay, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants here, and I think yes. I think I think he 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 is one of those. And and it's just, I mean, the clarity as you mentioned, and the language and the system he's worked out. It's there. There. I mean. My life would look very different without his work. Yeah. Don't mean that in a good way. <laughs> so yeah, same. And you also have a, a a connection to to Tony, which you get you you describe in the in in the episode. You have a, a loose connection. Did I describe it in the? I think it was you do, after. You do. That so let's after. leave it. Let's leave it after. as a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I well, his connection is a bit of an exaggeration, but my 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 prior boss, I kind of he worked with Tony directly as well. So there is. There's some line there, but I think Scott is like a hundred times closer than that. No, but it's very enjoyable, and and I mean that's that's just go to address. I actually, to, to be honest, I have this in the in my. So if you scroll down on my LinkedIn bio, um, I st I I mean because I think I mean the title of his book, the the the, the I think really the fundamental one, what customers want. That's that's that's. I mean, that's the question. Perfect title, by the way. Perfect that's a title. perfect title. And, 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 and I acknowledge this. I say this in, in that bio, the bio. That's the question that I've been struggling with on the, on the professional side for the past 10 years. 
that's exactly the question. And and it's just it was an honor to have it. So well, guys, it was a great year one. It was fun. It was. I enjoyed it. I look forward to yeah. everyone. And there's a couple of episodes we had just us on there. Those were those were a lot of fun too. I look forward to uh, yeah. doing some more of that. But um, you know, let's yeah. see what year two holds for us. Absolutely. And I, I, by the way, I learned a lot also from you both. So it's not thanks to our guests, of course, but. Thanks you guys also for doing this. It was extremely enjoyable. Well, yeah. I'll throw it, throw it back at you. Same here. <laughs> very, uh, very um, uh, enjoyable and also uh, formative uh, experience. Yeah, Jonathan, you always ask such good questions. Yeah. When you when you oh, look you're down, gonna, you're gonna you look down and, and you start, <laughs> I'm like, here we go. What is it? He's sharpening his knife all it's the way like through he's the ready to go. Well, can... that's the thing, because because I, I I kind of I I I probably uh, talk a bit less, and I just kind of uh, trying to think of you're you're kind of uh, really doing the the hard work of, of making the the show move forward, and I just come I'll, in with the I'll I can fill just, in the space. Get, yeah, I'm, you, I'm just stalling yeah. for time. Me and well, that's the thing. I, I'll see you. I'll see you. Look down, and I'm like, oh, here we go, because it's always it's always such a fantastic, well thought through. Very provocative yeah. question, and it's very it's so with whoever it is, it's like you know, it's it's very it's very polite, but you know, you'll 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 challenge them a little bit yes. on the or in a way that helps anybody listening to better understand. And yeah. so I really appreciate that. And Jan, I want an episode on oh my Aristotle God. or something. Yeah. I want that would yeah, be great. Know, yeah. I feel like you're you're hiding. It's like you got this superpower and you're sort of hiding. <laughs> Promise. <laughs> that's yeah, that's I, all a trick. That's a, that's all a trick, right? <laughs> if I would show it, you would see that it's just hot air. So, <laughs> well, I doubt that. I'll say. I'll say uh, let's this. do that. Yeah, let's I absolutely want to do this. And both of you, it's just yeah. We're, I appreciate your friendship, and this is a lot of fun. The oh, um when um I'll say uh, back to one of our earlier ones with one. It's one of my earlier conversations with Ron, and I was describing something. I don't know. And he goes, oh, that's the power of being instead of doing. You should read Heidegger. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, and so it's I got, my pile, I immediately by the got way. some, started reading it. And I was, yeah, it was like, whoo, <laughs> over my head. It was like, wow, this is some dense stuff. I was like, he should have stopped yeah. with being versus doing and don't do anything. You just, that's Don't tell. Yeah. Let's leave it right there. <laughs> so I can't imagine um, you know, as you've gotten into all these philosophers and, and I'm sure, you know, you'll see connections. These are similar. These are different. So, uh, yeah, I don't even care if it has anything to do with innovation. I what's, what's uh, I'd love to have that conversation. No, you can tell should. me understand I mean, Heidegger because I'm reading. It's not going to get it for me. I mean, you're the guy who wrote the book about the jobs to be done philosophy. <laughs> and I mean, what else is there to fall and, in love with? Than a, I mean, yeah. <laughs> And which I want to also reiterate, and it's this is we talked about before knowing you, Scott. I I knew Jan before, yeah. and we met you, Scott, through the through interviewing you you on your book actually. And I mean, we were both. I mean, for me, Statue in the Stone is still. I would even say. Uh, 
I don't want to say not. I don't want to embarrass you, but I, let's say it's one of the best books on on jobs to be done. Yes. I'd say it's embarrass really me. Such a Go good ahead. Book. <laughs> well, it's available on Amazon right now. Exactly. <laughs> Go and get it. It's it's a, it's a great book. Review only if it's going to be a good one. If not, don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, but that was. But you know the um, it was one of the. More impulsive things I've ever done was I just said, hey, let's start a podcast. When we talked, when we connected, it was just so easy. I just sort of just fired off an email one day, and I'm so glad I did. It's been it's been a lot of fun, guys. All right, Jan, you want to take All us right. home? That's, I think, the perfect place to end it. So thanks so much to our listeners. Uh, and as always, that concludes today's Product Quest podcast. So please send any comments or ideas for future shows to productquestpodcast at gmail.com. And see you next year. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Well, that was fun. Wow, that took a while. That's oh, uh, that's got a record for a two and a half hour. Three and a half hours. Was it three and a half hours?